Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's good, Internet? It's September 13th, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 507. I'm your host, Rob Zachney. I'm joined by Ricardo Contreras. Hello. Patrick Klepek. Hi. And Renata Price. Hi, and howdy, and hello. Uh, so, Patrick, I want to start with you. Uh, you've been playing a game that I've been looking forward to for a while. It seems like a really cool pitch. We've talked about it before. Uh, Metal Hellsinger. Uh, which is an arcade shooter, but like totally informed and shaped by heavy metal. Yeah, I just want to point out just to the audience, I the utter restraint that Rob has shown to not open this podcast with a mention of the Chicago Bears' roaring comeback win on Sunday against the San Francisco 49ers, a feeling <laughs> that we don't feel very often. I just want the audience to, we don't have to, we have us, we're going to record a spot, sports podcast, but I just like, I, I'm proud of you, Rob. I'm just like incredibly proud of you. Like I'm just keeping you. this joy to myself, honestly. <laughs> it's like a tiny guttering candle of hope. And if I open my hands, it don't, will be snuffed out. Don't like let that shit go be out. Like, be careful. You can't take anything. Be careful. You can't take anything from that bear game. And so I just have to hold it to my chest as long as possible. Uh, Rob will, will always have the pictures of Justin Fields sliding into the end zone in the in one the, of the, in the, in the one of right. my all time favorite bear memories. By the way, <laughs> the entire team uh, slip and sliding into the end zone. It was a very cinematic. Uh, it was thing. truly. Like, <laughs> if life were a movie, this is where like the Bears turn out to be a great team. Life is not a movie. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of major issues that even were visible in that game, but. Nevertheless, Patrick, yes. in addition to watching the Monsters of the Midway uh, upset all <laughs> expectations uh, and really humble uh, Shanahan's <laughs> overrated 49ers. Oh, wow. They're, see, they, OK. All right. I unlocked a little bit of it. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I have not played a a ton of Metal Hellslinger, but uh, the embargo is up. That game is coming out this week. It was a game we talked about. Earlier in the summer, there was a uh, a demo on Steam Next Fest yeah. that proved to be sort of like the breakout hit of um that line of that line of demos and so it's been on my radar rhythm games like Kato and I have talked many times about our deep appreciation and love of sort of like music rhythm games a genre that like has is kind of out of style there there are a handful of games you get your crypt of the necker dancers there's even like you know metal hellsinger doesn't exist without bpm beats per minute um uh, or bullets per minute bullets, bullets, per, bullets per minute, it's bullets think, per minute. Yeah. <laughs> um you know game is playing in a, in a similar wheelhouse to uh metal hellslinger but uh it's it i'm i'm always joyous when there is a new one and i am always joyous when it can introduce introduce me to a style of music that is maybe not necessarily my cup of tea but is one that when it matches like gameplay in and genre um is really delightful and i think that is the case for uh metal hellslinger which uh these sort of like basic the story is sort of, I don't know. <laughs> you got, you got, you got, I don't know. You're this sort of demon locked away. You got to break out. You you break out by sh- shooting demons. There you go. Metal Hellslinger has been set up. Now go shoot those demons. Um, 
and the like the mechanics are like this is the, this is like the star of the show like the, the 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 way that the game works is you have like a pulsing meter in the center of the screen that is alongside like your shooting reticle and you are meant to fire a uh, like a shotgun shell a or or sing uh, swing a sword or uh shoot a like a skull that can do like quick fireball hits that don't do a ton of damage but is crucial to the overall thing that you need to be doing in this game which is not only hitting alongside the beat which is visualized to help you give an aid if the audio cues are not enough. Um, but you're trying to keep your beat going. Like the longer your beat is going, the higher your score is going to be. But also, more importantly for me, as someone that doesn't really care about the score part, it's like your your it's increased damage. So there is a score element, but there is also like a pretty important gameplay element. Um in in terms of how you are, you know, moving about the space and and dealing with the enemies in front of you. And so it's just a really neat game because your interactions with music and firing and just pure movement are different because you are trying to get a sense of the space and the enemies within because it's not just about clearing them out which is typically what you're just trying to do in your average shooter but it's clearing them out strategically so that you are bouncing between the right weapons for like the bigger heavy enemies you want to use your your shotgun um you have your sword to clear out mobs uh oh there's no one around or there's one enemy left and i'm not actually sure where they're hiding we'll switch to the skull and just go boop 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 and you're keeping that beat as you're like trying to track down this little fucker uh that is navigated <laughs> Does that make that process better than it is in every other game where it's like not in this corner gonna backtrack here yes no it is because it's, it's right. it like feels like status like you're doing something and like the the it, all the audio the auditory and the visual elements are playing in it like you've got the big like soaring 16 like uh so the the, the way the, the 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 beat scale works is you're amassing a combo as the beats are going on longer so you're going like one to two to four to eight to 16 and when you hit 16 um, which you can either do by do- picking up an icon that'll just max you to 16, or you get there naturally through maintaining uh, sort of the beat. Uh, you unlock vocals for the song. So you have like this, you know, it's kind of like, I, I think I compared it to amplitude or frequency. Um, uh, these uh, old harmonics uh, music games long before they did Guitar Hero and, and Rock Band, in which you like were kind of in a cylinder, um, sort of like uh, Tempest, um, the old uh, 80s ar- arcade game. And in those different lanes... And this is kind of where they were playing around with this lane concept that would, you know, really come into play in in the Guitar Hero games, uh, where, like, as you're turning on an individual lane, you're turning on an element of the music, like the guitar, the drums, the bass, the vocals. And here, it's not as isolated in that way. And I, I, you're, you're kind of always even at, like, 1x, like, when you're just getting started or if you had a combo break. The music still sounds pretty good. I was always a little... It was neat to hear the music stack on top of each other, but it could also be like demoralizing. Like, hey, this music sounds like shit right now. You know why it sounds like shit? Because you're bad at this game. Um, and Middle Hellsinger doesn't, it doesn't sort of like hit you in the gut nearly as much with that. Like even at 1x, like it's still, it sounds more like just generic rock. And then what you get, the, the uniqueness that you get as you layer it is, you know, getting like the vocals of, you know, the dude from System of a Down and uh, a bunch of other rock bands that I could not name for you. But uh, I will say they like they they fit the vibe so well that it's even though it's not music I would ever want to listen to in my car. Like it's a real testament to the game that like I wouldn't want to listen to anything else in the game. Like it, re- it really like feels good, sounds good. And so you've not only played about an hour, gotten to the first boss, 
Um, the bosses were neat because it's just like, a, again, like a different way to interact with the same sort of like mobs and enemies. The other thing that I got to was when you complete an area, it unlocks these challenge rooms and the challenge rooms are really, really delightful. Like for, for example, the one I just finished was, uh, complete 40 kills on the beat, um, within a time limit. And every time you're defeating an enemy, you're unlocking a little more time. And so it's the same approach. You're getting to all these different arenas, but then just, like exactly what you were saying, Rob, like trying to find that one enemy, like stressing me the fuck out because I have three seconds before the challenge is over. And the reason to do the challenges are not just because, hey, like, do you want to do a harder version of a thing you've done before, which can, can be enough, but it actually is unlocking these these upgrades. I didn't realize the game had loadouts. Um, and so the game actually has mm. sort of the whole loadout system in terms of weapons that you're equipping different upgrades like for example the one i unlocked because i beat the first challenge room was hey you can go off beat once and we're not gonna immediately punish you and like send you from 16x to 8x and so it seems like you'll be able to sort of customize your approach to the game by doing some of these challenge rooms but also they don't seem like they're necessarily required if you want to just like go from from one area to the next but uh so far like cannot sing the praises of it more more highly um it's a it's, it's a really good game how does the um how does the game deal with like transitioning between songs or how long do does a single song stick around cuz i feel like that can it be a very feel, i don't i it, um because it happens so much in the background right mm-hmm. like you're like the music is always there you're always pr- you're always aware of it but it's not forwarded in the in the way that you're thinking of like a track right so my the way i'm remembering it and i just like turned it off but it's sort of just always there so i think the track is maybe just always going and is just like sort of seamlessly an endless sort of bit attached to the level. But I could be wrong. Maybe it is. It might be the fact that Kato, the screaming all kind of sounds the same to me. Um, <laughs> they're all going like, <gasps> you know what I mean? And so it may be that another person is playing this and it goes, Patrick, there are eight different songs on the first level. Right. Like and, I'm go- and I'm going, no, it's all one song. This sounds exactly the same. Uh-oh. Um but I think it's it, it, I probably you know a net I mean, positive for the game that I can, that I can't tell right yeah. like it, it is all seamlessly integrated that it just feels like it doesn't feel like we're skipping from track one to track two right uh, if that is occurring it is occurring very naturally organically um, that it feels extremely seamless that's good to hear yeah um, I have a question did you play bullets per minute you mentioned it earlier as like a no. as a okay I was curious it'd be, to see it'd been how... in my list I just never I just never got around to actually sitting down and playing it did you play it. Uh, no, I was talking with someone actually uh, else playing uh, Metal Hellsinger over the weekend, uh, and they were talking about Bullets Per Minute as like, not only just a direct mechanical inspiration, but was talking about like the ways in which Bullets Per Minute feels like a more refined mechanical like kit uh, mm. versus Bullets Per Minute, which is really carried and enhanced by the specific licensed tracks that they're working with uh, that like both both become more than the sum of their parts, but through different routes and i was curious if that uh, felt true for you but if you haven't played it then you can't answer that question yeah no but i'll, I'll have to check that out because I, I, don't, I don't i don't have a good reason i, I think to some degree it was uh i find the music off-putting <laughs> like you know what i mean so i think i think i just sort of i never ended up trying bullets from because like well if i'm not going to enjoy the music that seems like that would be a tough sell for 10 to 12 hours and, and maybe what i didn't do was just give it enough credit for like the right kind of game and the right kind of atmosphere selling that. I also just have so many, I had so many friends that were, this is not this kind of music, but it's, it's adjacent to it. But, uh, I had a lot of friends in high school that were in what they called, I don't know if they, this is the terminology anymore, hardcore bands, but, um, basically it was just music 
where you screamed into a mic, there really wasn't any singing. I'm sure there were different levels of talent when it came to to this screaming, but the, the, the main appeal of these shows was to uh, the band to be sitting making extremely loud music, uh, a man screaming into this microphone as loud as possible, and then people kicking the shit out of each other in a mosh pit. <laughs> And yeah. so I didn't like this music. I didn't want to be in the mosh pit, but I had to go to these shows all the time because my f- friends were in them. And uh, so I was there to to, to uh, have some moral support. So I made part of it, maybe I have like lingering memories from high school of just spending endless Friday nights at someone's house party or at the Knights of Columbus uh, local establishment listening to to these shows before we eventually got kicked out. Um, they stopped hosting hardcore shows at some point when the ambulance showed up for the second or third time. We really need someone to make one of these for, uh, you know, the early 2000s mid uh, or, or mid 2000s, uh, you know, alt indie scene. Uh, <laughs> right. where yeah, is, where's my... Where is the BPM based on the works of Ben Gibbard? Uh, like you're just you're just blasting. Uh, you're, you're just blasting zombies and thinking about like, you love this girl, but like, do you really love her enough? Is this worth it? I don't know. Maybe we should write a dozen songs about this uh, and then move on. Transatlanticism, the the game. I think that was the Death Cab for Cutie record. It was very popular <laughs> yep. in that yep. era. I had an interaction with Rivers Cuomo uh, of Weezer over the weekend. After, yeah. uh, Yes, there was someone on Twitter that works at GitHub that there was a, some sort of script or something uh, on GitHub that had a comment about the script being broken and the account was rivers cuomo and so they tweeted like is this is a bit is this is this? like and it was it was like some sort of music thing or arrange like arranging data i don't know but uh was it just someone using river's name or no so actually, i so rivers yeah. cuomo uh we don't have to get into this but uh, you know i've talked about this before i have a long history in the in the wizard fandom and rivers cuomo <laughs> is slightly aware of who i am to the point that he followed me on twitter at least um a couple of years back and um hey go you know go read the um unauthor- unauthorized Weezer biography river's edge i i mentioned in that book that's just how it's just how important i am to the scene in the early 2000s um look so look sometimes that you're not maybe this podcast doesn't understand <sighs> that they're around the founder of unreleased weezer for the masses collecting demo tapes and all sorts of rarities and b-sides that the community didn't necessarily have at the time and anyway so i he will he didn't like when he followed me i dm'd him i was like hey i don't know if you remember this one time i came backstage and yada 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 no response uh, nothing. I tried to give this heartfelt, like, hey, remember this time we met sort of thing. And then, but then occasionally I'll tweet at him. He'll just like it. I'm just like, okay. Um, so I added him and was like, hey, did you, is this you on GitHub? And he was like, yes. And then he explained his problem <laughs> and they fixed it for him. So. Yeah, I treasure these little uh, Weezer and Rivers updates. Uh, You're welcome. They're, they're always... They're always interesting. They're, they're, they're fun little keyholes into mm-hmm. uh, life after peak Weezer. <laughs> uh, I guess, you know, speaking of keyholes, and that puts me in mind of Thief uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the, the godfather of immersive Sims. Uh, Ren, you've been playing a game that, to my mind, like evokes a lot of Thief mm-hmm. the Dark Project and Thief yes. the, the Metal Age. Uh, Gloomwood. Those are lofty comparisons. I'm curious what the reality is as you've sort of dipped your toes in there. So I think that Gloomwood genuinely is living up to comparisons to things like Thief. Uh, I think it is a, so to put it in context, Gloomwood is a recently released uh, stealth, stealth, first person stealth 
survival horror game uh, by New Blood Interactive, uh, mm. the team that may that published um, Dusk, Ultra Kill, uh, the Faith trilogy. Um, same designer as Dusk, though, right? Yes, um, yes. And the David same designer as uh, Iron Lung, right? Yes, 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 yes. yes. Uh, David Zemansky, who is really excellent both at boomer shooter game feel uh, and also as evidenced by Iron Lung in a couple of his earlier projects, which I've played, uh, really like engaging slow burn horror, uh, like mechanically simple, but atmosphere driven uh, slow burn horror. And I think that Gloomwood has the chance to synthesize those two things in a way that his previous work hasn't hasn't always for me uh, and like make it actually feel cohesive. So Gloomwood, you play as a doctor who is going to this Victorian town that is afflicted with some kind of curse. Your job as the doctor is to figure out what's causing this illness, it's a curse, uh, and put a stop to it. Uh, to do this, you show up in this place, you find a little sword cane, and you have to sneak around like the town guards, uh, all of whom are like as evil and raspy as you can imagine. I'll talk like this and they say, oh, is she a corporal? And it's just that for like, Every conversation you hear between guards sounds like that. It is it is a deep joy. It is they're exceptionally goofy. Um, until they see you, at which point their eyes light up red and they become extremely threatening enemies. Uh, and so, to avoid being killed by axe and shotgun-wielding guards, you, like, thief your way around the environment uh, with a stealth system that is, like, pretty much fully like it is the thief stealth system you have a little ring the ring tells you how well lit you are or if you're completely bathed in shadow and if you're bathed in shadow you are for all intents and purposes as long as you're not bumping into someone functionally invisible uh and plenty of games have done this style of stealth before but i think what gloomwood does that sets it apart is some pretty tremendous level design um that makes it all like come together and earn immersive sim like comparisons and and descriptors so where's where this at in terms of just like uh progression through development like is this is, is like is this fully wrapped is is this sort of a a taste of what the campaign is going to be very early access yeah. um or relatively early access all of the game's basic systems appear to be there um it's not like nothing seems particularly broken every once in a while enemies like patrol patterns will get broken uh, if you like reload a save but for the most part like the mechanics are there um what isn't there uh is a couple of major areas the town itself is not yet available and that's where the game it's it feels pretty obvious that like that's where the game really opens up uh what is available is the first three hours or so uh, in which you are moving from a small like I believe it's a shipping yard. It's like a it's like a, a meatpacking plant slash shipping yard. Uh, moving from that facility up to a mansion where you get your assignment from the woman who hired you to come check out this town. And so it's about three hours uh, of gameplay where you move through first the f- this facility, then a mine full of evil dogs, uh, and then finally uh, across this ridge to this place, uh, and then. There is a building. It's actually very funny. Um, I came across a building last night, or actually uh, the day before, where I get to this building. I'm like, oh, hell yeah. And there's guys standing outside and like talking about a beast that lives inside this building. I'm like, oh, hell yeah. I want to fuck up a beast who lives in a building. 
I have people are saying this about me all the time. She loves fighting beasts in buildings. Uh, <laughs> and I approach the door and it just has a big underdevelopment sign on it uh, and like tape covering the doors where it's like, hey, we're not ready for this one yet. But like it's it's coming in the next update, we promise. Um, it's 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 a cute way to do it for me. Um, but what's here is a really excellent and like well-balanced uh, foundation for a like solid stealth horror game um rob i have i tried to play thief because yeah. they were important pc gamer gave them very high reviews and i played deus ex and i was like oh yeah. i should probably play thief as well i think i played thief 2 a decent amount mostly up because i wanted to experience what is that infamous or i guess famous horror stage that's in uh, thief well 2? thief 3 has the cradle is it uh, thief 3 okay yeah. so thief 4 is where idos gets involved right that's the updated one yeah but i think i think at that point they drop four and it's just thief Okay, so maybe Thief 3 is what I would yeah. play. But do you, I feel like Thief is far enough along, and I feel like you probably have a better sense of what the, those, like, why are those games important? Like, why why does a game like Gloomwood even get made? Uh, So I, I feel like, for one thing, Thief still has a very particular aesthetic and vibe that's been very hard to recreate. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, Thief is a sort of pinnacle work of what you might call like low poly uh, aesthetics and it gives everything kind of a uncanny surreal quality uh, and that's to say nothing but before you start realizing what that universe is like Thief is very much like steampunk dark city in in a lot of ways in terms of vibe Ren so that's actually kind of one of the things that I really love about Zymanski's work overall uh, is that he uses low poly aesthetics especially in like Iron Lung as a way of making games into dream spaces um and that is like one of the things that uh really comes across in gloomwood is that game feels like a waking nightmare uh and like enemies that like for as much as i i think the the like oy, 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 way the guards talk is goofy it is legitimately unsettling at times because you have these like these models that are like look barely human hunting for you with these glowing eyes and this like raspy coughing voice that actually lands pretty well i think that um the game's like aesthetics are extremely well served by the like emerging house style for new blood interactive um and that sense of like there is something wrong here uh or like this like this era feels fundamentally um uncanny or inhuman in a way uh really does come across in gloomwood again because i think zymanski is good at horror uh or at least good at horror aesthetics um he has another game as part of the, um, oh God, they're called uh, the Dread X Collections. Uh, there is a Dread X Collection. There are these collections of like short horror games by like a variety of developers. Um, one of them is a first-person shooter called The Pony Factory. Uh, and that game, again, relies on the slow poly aesthetic and is absolutely horrifying uh, in, in, in some moments in a way that I find like really impressive. Uh, and that is coming to bear in Gloomwood while also being a good thief game. I think one other thing I would say that distinguishes Thief is that uh, in terms of the variety of tools you were given to attack the levels, it was a really, it was a game that allowed a lot of um, 
a lot of variation based on just taste and preference of how you wanted to go about uh, your your mission. Let me see. My impression, Rob, was in Thief, you take that one thing that you hit the guys in the back of the head with, you take the bodies, you drag them into a giant pile, and yep. then you go about exploring oh, the rest sure. of the level. <laughs> what was that so, thing called? What was that? The I Blackjack. That blackjack. Web, the Blackjack. Yeah. Yes. Like, that is that is my, like, lasting image when, as a Thief, that a, a series I know a lot about from looking at it but not playing it but like constantly that is one that always cracked me up was stories of people just sneaking around blackjacking an enemy and just creating piles oh of yeah cards. Dude, it's it, a huge part of that game is uh absolutely like uh knocking knocking people you know i think this is this is a pillar of the immersive sim stealth mm-hmm. game genre which is like at the most basic level like you're just like i just want to get through this campaign what's the easiest way to do it uh <laughs> piles of unconscious bodies is the way to do it like if like if your early like my early experiences in hitman games are almost inevitably just like closets stuffed with bodies uh people being hauled out to uh, just like random parking garages and like just piled up here. Hope they don't wake up. Uh, that kind of shit. Um, and and thief was very much that. But if you moved beyond that, uh, and and in, in some places just wasn't practical to be like hauling tons of bodies around because the patrol routes were too tight. You really need to start thinking about like what special kit would you be bringing mm-hmm. to like you know that, that's a game with rope arrows, uh, so early grappling hook type stuff, but they're limited. So where do you want to use that power of traversal? Uh, the ridiculous moss arrow, which master footfalls, right? And had like fire and ice arrows, right? Mm-hmm. Like I mean, it, like had, yep. yeah. <laughs> so one of the things um, that Gloomwood like does here is it is the way it pitches itself to people is thief with guns. Um, but regarding the idea of like just taking out all the guards and level and making the big body pile. So the first, the first like area of Gloomwood has like three revolvers that you can find. And I played the game for about two and a half hours and I didn't find, um, any of the three revolvers on my first run through. Uh, <laughs> I cannot so, hear a single thing you were oh, saying. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I was, I was doing a, a joke whisper, but uh, I found, uh, three, there's three revolvers in the first level of Gloomwood. I didn't find fucking any of them. So I was just like, all right, I'm going to, I'm doing sword only. It's my little sword cane only for this first level. And you kind of, I decided that out of anger uh, at these fucking assholes who would not let me find a revolver, I would be doing the, okay, you're all, you're all coming down with me uh, route of there are 18 guards on this level. I'm going to make that number zero real quick. Mm-hmm. But the game gives you interesting tools to do that. Um, there's one room that I think of that like kind of encapsulates why I think that Gloomwood isn't just like an, an okay thief game, but actually has like really excellent level design. So in this like cannery, right, there is a cargo floor uh, next to like a door to the outside. And then above that is a loft office. Um, they're all part of the same ceiling, like the same ceiling is there, but there's an office above the floor, right? And so that office has a window in it, a door to the central stairway of the building, uh, and then a like dumb waiter shoot uh, with a chain in it, and so you can get up to that office by stacking boxes and climbing up there, which is how I got up there the first time, uh, breaking the window, uh, climbing up the chain, or going through that door. And so the first time I go in there, I stack the boxes, I go, I search the office, I find some stuff. I'm like, okay, cool. I want to go outside, so I'm just gonna break this window and hop outside. Break the window, cool. Hop outside. I hear guards flipping the fuck out because they heard a window break. 
uh, and then an axe hits the door three times, and the door just splinters. Uh, and three guards come into the room, um, and I'm out on the window, and the lights are still on in the room in the office, and so the light is casting out, and they see me, and just bop, 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 gone. But this gave me an idea for a plan. On my second attempt, I go up there, I climb, I do the thing. I break the boards covering the dumbwaiter, and I go up the dumbwaiter this time. I turn off the lights in the office. I go to the window, because here's the thing. That central stairway has a locked door. The door doesn't, the door can't be locked if it doesn't exist. <laughs> so I break the window, I hop out, uh, and like seclude myself in a little corner. Uh, and then the guards, the three guards rush the room. Three guards rush the room. They're they're like fumbling around. I managed to take out two of them uh, by just like stabbing them in the back uh, because the room is pitch black. And then the third turns and looks at me. Uh, he gets a shot off and I sprint, jump down the dumbwaiter because if I jump to the factory floor below, he can just see me because there's no cover down there. So I jump down this dumbwaiter, loop back around, climb up the boxes I stacked earlier as he's searching for me in this room with a dumbwaiter and I take him out. By, like that is why this game's level design really works for me is that that sequence of events felt one totally unique to how i it felt like how i planned it i i was doing the i have a plan to do this heist or i have a plan to take out these three guards and i executed it nearly perfectly and that nearly bit made it feel way more fun than if I had just taken out all three guards on my first attempt. Having to escape and then come back around the other route that I set up earlier was just, it was extremely satisfying and made the game's level design like really click for me and led me to be like, okay, cool. This isn't just a good stealth game. This is a good stealth game that wants you to be able to find interesting solutions to these problems. Um, and that was really fun. Do we know what the shape of the campaign is going to end up being? Because this is one of the things that, like, Thief certainly comes at this from the standpoint of we're going to try. Well, and so, Patrick, if you play the Dishonored games, like, I think you probably played the best, like, modern instantiation of Thief. And I would say they're still very different. Like, I, I think they are doing different things. Thief is still, weirdly enough, still very worth playing. But I, well, think, I think because, like, people haven't really, Thief kind of sits on its own, like, part of the reason it's so revered is because it hasn't really been captured in a modern context, right? Like there are ga there are elements of it in many things, yeah. But these specific sort of atmosphere, I just what Thief itself specifically was going for has more infiltrated other games than itself having been like fully captured, which is a little more of what's happening with Gloomwood is like an, an attempt to well, how how do we capture a little bit of what was really going on in Thief in a, in a, you know in a different setting, obviously with guns, but. I don't know, like Thief has kind of been left behind as a specific sort of thing, even as, even though its influence is felt everywhere. Well, I think, uh, you know, one reason you might find that as well is um, maybe it is easier to evoke it in these sorts of creative spaces because, like, Thief is kind of off-puttingly creepy. And, like, Dishonored, I, I love Dishonored, but Dishonored is such a showpiece. Both games are such showpieces of, like, design, aesthetic. Like, if you made a Dishonored TV show, it is one of those, like, showpiece Amazon or HBO, like, period, uh, like, uh, like fantasy dramas. And it, like, costs a billion dollars to make. That's, that's Dishonored. Uh, Thief is a movie that, like, you're shooting on under like you're making that movie in like parking garages with your friends with like cheap sets like that is that like thief <laughs> is is uh 
you know, dark, underlit, gloomy, occasionally like really striking design, but also uh, very, very dedicated to the idea of just being absolutely oppressive in 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 every respect. And the aesthetic sort of reinforced that. Um, but where I was going with that is like one thing the thief does is that partly you are sort of reinvesting your loot into the gear you're bringing along on missions. Uh, you do that a bit in Dishonored as well, where it's like, okay, now you can, here's how you can kit out uh, what you're going to bring with you on this mission, or I'm going to uh, pay to have something seated into the level uh, that'll, mm-hmm. that'll help me out. And I'm curious, is there indication of like how Gloomwood is going to play with like uh, the, the sort of structure overarching mm-hmm. uh, like b- between the levels? So there's not, it's not in there yet, but there is the indicator. Yeah. At the end of the demo, or not the demo, the end of the early access period, you get to the top of this house uh, that's that you've been told to go to. You get in there, and then you go to the basement, and they're like, hey, go talk to this mirror. And you talk to this mirror, and here's, here's where the, the Dishonored aesthetics tie-in comes in. In a Dishonored game, you would see, like, a kind of unsettling but mostly really hot lady be like, oh, I've, I've hired you to do my my evil deeds. But you're like, you're really pretty. So I'm going to kind of focus on that for a sec uh, because, you know, those games are good at that. Emily Caldwin is, uh, is an inspiration. Um, and instead, she's like, this basement is for you. This is your base of operations. The game makes it very clear that you are going to be working out of this room to do a lot of stuff, uh, including there's also an operating table there, which has me extremely curious because it's making me wonder if part of the loop of this game is going to be breaking into the town, taking a person out, carrying them all the way back to your... um, like little your little manor on the hill and being like all right let's figure out what's causing this illness and if that's the loop i am really excited for that because i think that the idea of having to cart a person over that much distance in one of these games is a really exciting challenge in a way that like fit this object into your inventory is not right that is something that will require you to play the game differently. You will not be able to use your normal strategies if you're trying to hike a body um, across the entire map. And so the game has made it is making it clear that it wants you to develop a kit and like arsenal over time. And that is where like the thief with guns component comes in because I haven't really talked about the weapons so far. Right now, uh, there are three things. I believe a silenced gun, which I haven't found, but I've seen in trailers, a shotgun, and a uh, revolver. And then finally, there is a like magnum uh, that is not like there. There's the revolver, and then there's the gun, uh, because this is a game with like very real survival horror inspirations. And I think where Gloomwood shines, and and I think is is setting itself up for success in terms of having to really plan out your missions beforehand, is that in this first level, uh, in this first like area of the game, I found around thirty ish rounds of revolver ammunition. It takes three revolver rounds to kill a guard uh, if they haven't been injured previously, which means that if you aren't being careful you have about 10 guards worth of ammunition and these maps have like 18, 20 guards each. And so it, it feels like a well-balanced survival horror game insofar as I have a gun, 
I never want to be using it because it's going to, one, alert guards. Uh, and that means I'm going to be after fighting more people. And two, I will be going through ammo for it really quickly if I'm not using it in clever ways. Um, you know, the ways that you use a, a gun in a, in a um, immersive sim. You pick up a barrel. You sneak up behind a guy. You put a barrel between him. You shoot the barrel. It explodes. It, it gives you that feeling of like, oh, yeah, this is fun. This is This is the goofy fun shit I want to be doing. But with enough resource scarcity that it actually feels like you are making a choice to use that gun when you are. Um, and enemies are hardy enough when when you are in a straight up gunfight, they still feel threatening. Uh, a guy with a shotgun can and will kill you very quickly and in a very startling way uh, if you are not careful. Um, which makes the guns feel useful and powerful, but not... Um, like they completely ruin the balance of what would otherwise be like a solid stealth action game, uh, which they think is where games like Dishonored can fall into. Dishonored gives you a lot of tools to end fights messy and fast when you get detected, but they very quickly turn into wizard pa- into yeah. wizard murder fantasy simulators. Well, because the part 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 of like the, the reason there's the bodies the the, the thing about the, the the tall stack of eyes and thieves is because. I mean, stealth games are kind of boring. I I mean, like, by design. Like, <laughs> what? Boo. Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up, Patrick. <laughs> but I think there's, I think there's a good chance. <laughs> there's a good chance that that's why, just, you know, like a game like Dishonored ends with the way it does is because, and why Thief has struggled to reinvent itself twice, where, you know, Iron Storm takes over with the third game. Crystal Dynamic, uh, or, or uh, Eidos Montreal uh, takes over with the fourth game. Um, I think Thief is hard to do when you're trying to scale it to like a big budget production, like it's like, what is thief? What are you doing here? And it's like, how do you, how do you not, how do you not keep swinging into giving the player too many tools, too much action to break up the fact that like, well, thief was sort of a series about sitting around and it's the, like well, the, the original sitting around and watching enemy. Even games. looking glass hedged its best pre hero thief, uh, where for one thing, thief, I think is sort of, Ground Zero, one of the original sin things they do is like they call out whether or not you did like the ghost run, basically, where it's like you were never spotted, never knocked anyone out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So immediately, like from the inception of the genre, they're sort of baiting the hook of like, well, of course, here's the real stealth master way to play. <laughs> right. And it's it's almost inevitably also going to be probably one of the most like tedious and boring ways to play because it can involve a lot of like, yeah, memorizing patterns and reloading. And quick, yeah, quick saving F6 and F7. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but the other thing that Thief does is, and, and this is, like, less well-remembered, uh, they do fucking Tomb Raider shit, uh, like, right and left in that game, where it's like, woof, boy, we need a break from all that stealthing, huh? Let's go into the Undercity uh, and fight dinosaurs there. A lot. Really? Oh, yeah, there's tons of fighting dinosaurs in the Undercity. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> uh Patrick, Sorry, that's, that's a great question uh so i guess the way i would put it is one of the major through lines in thief is that god this game is so fucking cool okay <laughs> so goes from talking about you fight dinosaurs a lot and it's a crutch to and this game is so fucking cool <laughs> okay so the deal is uh f- like thief all takes place in a uh like theocratic fascist dystopian uh like uh like steampunk state and you are contracted to just do some mysterious shit but the, it turns out that basically 
the old gods are like trying to reawaken the world. Like there's this dichotomy between like the world of metal and the world of the natural and the gods of the natural world are trying to like break back in uh, to this, to this world. But your world is literally built on ancient ruins uh, that are filled with like artifacts of like the old world where these two things intersected. And so from time to time, you got to go where these things found they're in the underworld, uh, which is a lot like the overworld, but like the aforementioned dinosaurs and of course zombies. Uh, There's tons of zombies in this game that you can only kill uh, with holy water arrows, which, and this is very funny. Basically you have your water arrows, which those stay with you at all times. But if you find a font of holy water, you basically have access to holy water arrows. All your water arrows turn to holy water arrows for like, 30 seconds so if you're dealing with a lot of these zombies what you're trying to do is you're running running around being like i hope a holy water font shows up so i can just <laughs> clear some of these out because otherwise you can beat the shit out of them with your sword and they will fall and they'll still stay down for about 30 seconds and then they're popped back up and the thing is patrick uh again you wouldn't think this game would be so like but actually you probably would remember how like Stuff looks silly in these games with makeup for it. Sound effects would just stick with you forever. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. These are the worst zombies, I think, in gaming. <laughs> like, they make this wheezing gasp shriek as they pursue you. And it's just unending. And the reverb on it is just, you you never feel like they're close or far away. You always feel like you're beset by these things. And even though that you could just outrun them, you could just ignore them. They're just mere fact just fucks you up. Uh, that you got these things on your on your case. Uh, it's great. I'm pulling up a sound clip of these zombies. Yeah, uh, the the zombies are not the zombies are bad. It does feel like th- uh, these games would be. I mean, I know they there was like Thief Gold. I don't know like what the state of these games is now. Like, uh, how playable are they? Super. Unless, yeah, okay. I you know I shouldn't say that. I have not played them in like four or five years, but as of four or five years ago, like they they were mm. fine. Uh, so. Like, it does seem that now that Embracer owns, I think they own Thief as well. Uh, it does seem like a series that would be well suited for just like a nice quality of life remastering. If you wanted to like seed the interest in like a proper sequel um, at some point, um, because there is a world where like if you did a modest and maybe games like Gloom would just like, hey, there's no reason to do another Thief. Like, it's fine. Like, like they're out there if you want to scratch that itch. But um uh, is there also is there a room for a reappraisal of Thief Four? That game, no one liked that game, right? That the the, the I, I, one. I think I've seen some arguments that like it just it it got it got beat up a lot because it was basically such a break with the Looking Glass games, um, and didn't and didn't take up any of the 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 work that they've been doing. But also like tried to have it both ways by like introducing some like really weird connective tissue between them, but like. Mm. I, I I've heard the game got kind of a bad rap. Um, you know, I, that's the is that is that still like the entire the entire cursed wave of immersive sims that like happened in the Canadian development scene? Uh, you know, over a period of some years. Well, uh, do you consider Human Revolution to be a cursed one? I quite like that game. I think lack of uh, buy-in from publishers is the curse, right? Yep. Like lack mm. of commercial performance and like fundamentally lack of belief uh, from publishers is the curse. Like I think. There were a lot of people rapidly learning a lot about building good modern immersive sims and 
the just runway wasn't there. They're hard sells, like from a marketing perspective, they're like difficult to, and you can see, you know, the one studio that Arcane that essentially like you know bet the farm on it for the better part, better part of a decade, like starting with Dishonored, ending with Prey. Um, none of those games sold particular. Like they did like from okay to Prey, which was like essentially a bomb. Um, and many of those games are, you know, classics. Like you depending on where you fall in the spectrum yep. on all of them. I mean. One thing I'll say is that Thief Four came out within the window. Came out, came out within my uh, game renting window. Uh, it did. It, it wow! Did. <laughs> Add it to the list. Okay, we we spent a it couple of weeks. It was late. That's we can fudge the numbers. I, you know, it was fourteen. I, you know, your editor approves. Thank uh, you, Renata. We can. I, I would love to revisit. I never played Thief Four. Um, the reviews were so poor that I just never quite gave it a shot. But I would be super curious to revisit yeah or actually revisit visit that game for the first time practically speaking okay decided damn did it easy kid shit i feel like the Uh, first misstep was trying to change the a the e in thief into a four (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah that's always where that's always where it begins that's always where it begins Well, that's part of the marketing thing, right? So in Thief 3, is not called Thief 3 because they were like, are people not going to want to play uh-huh. Thief 3 because they'll feel left out? Um, so Thief 4 goes the other route and says, no, let's m- m- match it into the, t- into the title. Um, you know, I mean, stuff like that illustrates the difficulty in making modern versions of these games. Uh, also, you know, there is a Thief audience. I don't know if it's that big that you got to like worry about no, catering to them. It's all people like, like they're all old and yeah. they're all angry. Just make the game to, you yeah. want to make. And like, as long as it sort of captures the vibe and like the DNA of what thief does, like, don't worry. You don't, there's no, no one to cater to. They're all in their like late forties at this point. Hey, and that's honestly one of the strengths of Gloomwood is the fact that like it has a bit of audience buy-in, but also like there is a growing it's a different audience. Like the people who are playing right. Boomer Shooters are, yes, some of them are people who like, uh, are nostalgic, but I think it's actually, I don't have the data for this, but it's capturing an entirely different audience. Mm-hmm. It is actually just falling for a new interpretation of an older style mm-hmm. of shooter, but they're not necessarily because, hey, I loved Doom 2 Hell on Earth right. uh, and all the clones that came in the 90s. Right. I, I also think that um, it is interesting to watch uh, – the cult of almost cult of personality start to emerge around New Blood Interactive uh, and the uh, games which are which are made by them. Those games all are consistently doing well because it seems like there is a they have uh, a community. Like they yeah, develop, they have a community, they, yeah. they have a specific following for the games they make or or partner with, and that's really that's really cool. I think it's neat. Yeah, I think it's neat, and also like lets them do weirder more experimental things from time to time right like iron lung gets to be what iron lung is because a bunch of people are like i'll play a david Zeminski game yeah easy kid shit um and i'm like really excited to see that mode of development potentially become like i don't know more common i want to see more weird shit and communities let people do weird shit all right we will take a quick break and when we come back we'll uh, be discussing i guess as long as we're talking about antique immersive sims uh boy do i have news for you uh and then uh paddock's been playing uh, something else as well so back after this
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So when we voted on the slate of Waypoint 101 games, uh, we it is possible we were overambitious. And uh, one Natalie Watson proposed, not one, but two games. Uh, that part is to be determined. But Natalie <laughs> wanted to re- celebrate all of System Shock. All the System Shock there's ever been, let's celebrate it. Let's, let's 101 it. Uh, we are going to make System Shock original the 1994 game uh our next waypoint 101 game i was doing a bit of reconnoitering that ground uh this weekend uh playing a bit of of system shock one which is uh you know another another looking glass game and crucially like this is probably the crossover point between looking glass at its most uh you know abstruse in 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 a lot of ways uh this is this is like terra nova looking glass turning into like thief looking glass where it's things that are more terra nova oh my god rob that was like that was the height of the voxel movement right terra nova Uh, i can't remember if i can't remember i'm pretty sure i'm pretty use voxels i think so because i thought voxels look cool as shit (laughs) well and you they could they could do things that uh like it was 3d it was like it was pseudo 3d like it was like as games were like straddling that line the voxels were also i think uh weren't as performance heavy like you could just get away with more using voxels based on what i remember at the time but like Terra Nova is also uh, it's a battle suit sim that mm-hmm. uh, that Looking Glass made, and so they basically it's like it's a first person shooter, but because it's a battle suit, you have like flight sim levels of like you're like a tank. Suit. You were a t- yeah. like it was t- it was tankish, but you were a person in a suit. Yeah. How are we spelling Terra Nova? Because the only Terra Nova that I recognize in my heart uh, is the 2012 dinosaur television show. Terra Nova. <laughs> How are we spelling this other thing? Because I cannot it's, find it's Terra Nova Strike Force Centauri. Um yeah. uh it it is on Steam. Um lead and elite fighting oh, team shit, battling for FMB freedom from this? the sinister. Yo, there's forces. FMB in there's it. FMB in or, this? There's FMB in it. Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh wait, yo, this seems sick. What? It is. Yeah, it's sick. I, I remember quite liking it at the time. Yo, um, should I play this? Oh my god! Maybe sure. I I don't know. I I, I you know uh, you know nineteen. Look at these you know, mechs. Ten, ten, ten year old Patrick thought the demo on the PC gamer demo disc was fantastic, so these we ended up buying it. Um. Uh. Wait. It, uh, does does Warren Spector work on Thief, or is that just he's just System Shock at the time? I can't remember what, if Warren Spector was technically involved in Thief. Mm. Um, I but believe he was. I will say. Uh, yes. One of my favorite stories, uh, I, I have a friend who worked at uh, at Looking Glass uh, back, in the, back in this era, 
and she tells the story about uh her husband just losing his mind at this one level where there's a a turret that fires a projectile weapon that has a really well-known range. Like he, like in all the other levels, you know, he knows what the range well, is. Are we talking, are we talking about Terra Nova or System Shock? Terra Nova. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, and on this one level on low gravity planet, he's like uh, approaching this turret and suddenly it just zaps him like from twice as far away as possible. It's because the gravity was lower. And so like the range on everything in this level just like spirals way beyond uh, what you are used to. And so he runs into the next room. Uh, his wife is exhausted and asleep uh, from working at looking glass, to be frank. Uh, you know, he's like, can you, did you know about like the, the, the gravity uh, affecting like range fall off? And she sort of like, growls at him. It's like, don't talk to me. It's, it's Dorian's level. Uh, leave me alone. Uh, Dorian Hart being the designer on it. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's kind of that's kind of the tradition that Looking Glass is operating in. And System Shock is kind of the crossover where it's like because it is trying to be this like maximally cyberpunk horror shooter, it definitely in some ways controls a lot like what if your hacker were uh you know, Patty you said the Terranova, it feels like you're kind of you're kind of tank like. Uh, I would say also like System Shock One also has kind of a vibe of you are piloting your hacker mm. uh, rather than inhabiting your hacker. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, so that's that's next on the agenda. So what version of that are we going to play? Enhanced. Okay. This is is this what is this one that Enhanced. Night Dive did? Uh, let's see. Does that? I think I think they did, but then they were also working on like they're working on the remake. The re- yeah, which. Eh. I don't. Yeah, who knows? That game was supposed to come out like three years ago. Then they rebooted. I mean, the, the latest trailer looks nice, but we're not going to be able to to wait. I don't think it's coming this year. So, yeah, I mean, it's very murky how that's going to come. Plus, together. if we're gonna if we're gonna play, I have tried to play System Shock two like a half dozen times, and always make it through the first area, and then just for some reason never got never got back to it. So, System Shock is well, the engineering level is not a good time is the problem uh so system shock 2 i would say has like the like it opens strong and then immediately it is basically like the equivalent of the shock game sewer level uh is what you were plunged into uh bioshock does the same thing where you go down the engineering level it's all like pipes and like you know weird corridors not not great stuff uh but then system shock 2 that third level oh boy hydroponics deck shit gets real on hydroponics deck so stick around for that. But in the meantime, System Shock 1, I don't even know where. It's so big. These levels are enormous. They're confusing. In well, this is from the, there's the, like a Doom area, like era where like levels oh yeah. were mm. just like this. This comes after what well, Spectre does Ultima Underworld and then yes. goes from that to System Shock. Um, Textures repeat. Uh, yes. But like it also means the levels can go on forever. Uh, so like it, the spaces can at once be very, very big. And also very, very nondescript. Uh, so it, it does really have that feeling of I am just utterly lost aboard this space <laughs> station uh, and uh, and being hunted. So uh, I'll you know, I think Natalie, and I'll be back with more guidance on stuff to look out for and like some some key beats to hit. Uh, but for now, just know that, uh, you know, if you start digging that first that 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 first level, that that first, you know, that first deck, basically. Uh, that, that's at least where everything starts, and uh, you won't be wasting your time there. I went to the uh, Steam page for the Enhanced Edition, and uh, why is Jerry Seinfeld in this game? 
I have no idea what this bit is. The- Just look at the do- that is that not Jerry Seinfeld's face on that door back there? I put the thing in our chat. Okay, yeah, okay, okay. I I don't know what that face is <laughs> what about. What is happening there? I don't know what that face is about. Uh, I wonder, is funny. that like, is that Edward Diego from Trioptimum? Anyway, now we're getting into big lore <laughs> things. But yes, I too have been wondering about the dude who's just on all the video displays. My assumption is it's a scan of one of the like looking right. glass designers, but I don't know who. <laughs> What's the deal with the AI at Citadel Station? <laughs> no. No. Thank you. Thank you. What's the deal <laughs> right, with this Patrick. hacking minigame? Oh, right. The hacking minigame. You go into cyberspace and you fly around. Some like lawnmower man shit? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Nice. Same era. Uh, yeah. Like, I think lawnmower man is yeah, 96, 97, 98, something around there. It's uh, also Patrick, well, tell me. hackers. Oh gosh, ninety five. Same era, I think. Like maybe ninety nine. Because that has some flying around. Yeah, there's a lot <laughs> of that. Like that was sort of like our conceptual visual conceptualization of the of the internet. Even fucking that, like, Jurassic period. Park that had a little mm-hmm. bit of. Yeah. Oh, I just got it. <laughs> yeah, I'm a kid. I just know how Linux works. This is you. <laughs> Unix, Unix. It's Unix, a Unix, Unix, Unix system. Yes. Yes. Oh, whatever. That I feel like that hold that holds up better than some other. There's something that the cheesiness. Uh, yeah. Works, yeah. Works for me. No, totally. Sorry, oh, yeah. Bob, in I, Jurassic I, Park, you had to navigate the the different servers, right? Like, yeah, turn on the subsystems, the like yeah. you're basically like great. piloting a a, a, a corridor <laughs> shooter, <laughs> and, and uh, like just really the uh, I never tire of this, and it's it's still a trope that that we that we find across so many shows. The idea that the hackers are so good, they're in they're in your system so deep that they can hijack all the displays in the building <laughs> and like make them play a loop. Uh, and man, there was nothing more infuriating than Dennis Nedry's little, eh, eh, eh. <laughs> well, but t- to be fair, this was also an era in which you could go into a Best Buy and, uh, pick up a remote and just turn off all the TVs in the Best Buy because all the TVs were using IR sensors and you, well, actually you could just take your TV remote from home and you could just <laughs> go around the Best Buy and turn off all the TVs or the Circuit City or the Radio Shack. Take your pick. That was a very fun way to spend a, a lunchtime in a, in high school. Uh, Patrick, <laughs> one of the things you've written down that you were playing, uh, I, I, I guess, uh, God, I'm thinking what a little shit you were, uh, but anyway, oh, uh, being, wow. being a little, being a little guy, I guess, uh, sure. tell me about your, your time in, in Tinykin and the type of hijinks you're getting up to there. Uh, so yeah, Tinykin, um, uh, game I mentioned a, a couple of weeks back, sort of a, uh, a very Pikmin inspired game where you're playing a character. That is collecting a bunch of little, a little, a bunch of little tiny dudes, and they each have different characteristics. Uh, some of them pick up and move objects. Some of them stack to let you climb places. Some of them uh, function as sort of like electrical nodes, so you can carry electricity from one spot to the next. Uh, it's a really a charming sort of game that I, f- I found myself thinking about every time I would turn it off, and I went from I have other things to play to no, my life is is Tinykin now, and uh, it's also great because it's only like seven hours it's like just a it's a small well-built well-designed game uh that i i I really can't help recommend uh especially it's less strategic than a pikmin and that that i mentioned when i first talked about it that 
it seemed like that game, the game could have had uh, an interesting layer added to it if there was any sort of, there was more combat and thing. There was no combat in this game. There was combat in Pikmin. And so like you could have Pikmin die and sort of there's more of a RTS element to, to Pikmin that is not present here. And it's much more about a exploration and a platformer. Um, I think that may be why it appealed to me more than, than Pikmin because like exploring in a platformer is, is, is really a thing that I'm, I'm into. And the one thing I just wanted to note after other than just recommending, uh, the game because I finished it and like couldn't stop playing it once I started is that it does this really interesting thing that um, it was though they designed this part of the game just for me. I like collect like platformers are just full of collecting things, right? It's sort of in, sort of intrinsic to, to the genre is that other than navigating difficult spaces, it is like picking up things and being rewarded for finding them and level designers hiding them in interesting ways that make you feel like you accomplished something. Um, I enjoy collecting things until I don't. Uh, which is to say I am not a completionist. I, I can be a completionist if you're going to make it reasonable, but more often than not, how these games are designed is like, you're going to have to go look up a guide. You're not going to find the stuff on, on your own. And I don't find that to be interesting. I get no satisfaction from the trophy. I get satisfaction from watching the number go up and hopefully I can accomplish that number filling to its capacity on, on my own. But so frequently, that's just not the case with these types of games. And what I really enjoyed about Tinykin is so I forget what these I forget what you're collecting, like whatever these gold, you know, gold little objects that are scattered everywhere. They're kind of the equivalent of gold coins in a Mario game. Um, And the game, as soon as you collect one, it's going to tell you, hey, that's one of 700. Uh, Have fun. And usually what will happen for me is I will collect 650 and I'll look around and go. I don't know where those other 50 are. And in a game that gave me, let's say, like X-ray vision, or I could like find some way that I could track that stuff down, like buy a map that like puts, like marks it for me. Uh, I'll, I'll probably go find that stuff, but most games don't. Um, they're just like, do you want to spend another hour scouring the stage and looking in weird corners? And I don't. And what's really interesting about Tinykin is that you'll collect that 700 and then the number goes up and it says, well, actually there's 950. Uh, and, What's really nice about that is it's the game acknowledging, hey, 700 is good. Like you've really explored the level. It's where you get, you get a, you get a reward for it. You get an upgrade for it. You get achievements for it. And then there are sort of like a deeper layer of achievements if you want to be the completionist. And so it was the way I sort of like phrased it, uh, is sort of this is a game with like a curious, a curiosity layer and a completionist layer. And so frequently in these games, it's all about the completionist layer. And I just fr- frankly have never, even before, Kids, job, whatever, just never have found myself to be the completionist person, but I am deeply curious and I get frustrated when the games sort of arbitrarily extend themselves with the completionist stuff um, and don't give you the tools to make that seem reasonable to accomplish. And I just wanted to tip my hat to Tinykin as a game that acknowledged that just because I didn't find every single thing doesn't mean I didn't accomplish something or wasn't curious or like explored the world thoroughly. And this game having an acknowledgement of that. I was like, you're good. Like you're released. You don't have to go find the other 200. Like you're fine. Like felt really good. And I appreciated the acknowledgement of the game doing that. Cause so frequently the games like don't give you the acknowledgement until you collect all of them. And so, uh, yeah, just a really delightful, smart game. Um, it's on game pass. If you just want to give it, give it a go. Um, but it's also on, you know, a bunch of other platforms too. And it's just a little surprise was not, not expecting it to be as good as it was. And, um, Definitely one of my uh, favorites from this year. Nice. Uh, 
before we go today, let's take a let's take a bit more longer dip in the question bucket uh, today. We've got some good stuff that's been been piling up. Uh, remember, you can send us all your questions at gamingadvice.com uh, with the subject line questions. Uh, our first question comes from Andrew from Edinburgh. Uh, hey, Waypointers, if you could have any game remade with a similar level of update as FF7 Remake, updated gameplay, story changes, reflections on what the game means to the canon, what would it be? I wanted a KOTOR refresh for years, so the recent news on that was particularly depressing. Thanks for all you do, Andrew. Nintendo make another Golden Sun, Golden Sun game, damn it. <laughs> didn't they do that and then people didn't like the ones they made after the first one, though? Like, yeah, the DS one, the whatever, the DS ones don't, don't, don't count, they were bad. <laughs> oh, wow, hey, okay, oh, uh, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> I, mean, the, I mean, a remake, though, of the original mm-hmm. Golden Sun game. Because you don't would be trust them to make sick. a new one, just yeah, go exactly. back to the original. Exactly, the original was good, uh-huh. just update mm-hmm. that. God, that would be... Like doing the whole jump that uh, Seven did from like, you know, 3D with still cameras to uh, full 3D and like a di- totally different system, right? Thinking in my mind about uh, a similar amount of like gap between uh, uh, Golden Sun and like a possible Golden Sun remake sounds sick to me. I'd love to find these little gin guys and use them to move blocks. <laughs> Um, it's funny because well, the joke answer, which is a half serious answer, is that they should have done it to Final Fantasy VIII, the better version of like wow. the better Final Fantasy from that era. Um, wow! And I love I love Final Fantasy VII, love the remake, but oh, the 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 the, uh, the remake I get for Final Fantasy VIII is that I can the battles go faster. Fuck off. Um, the one that <laughs> the one that comes to mind though is when uh, two years ago when Nintendo put out that. Uh, trilogy, uh, trilogy of games. What was it? it? Was it was yeah, Mario sixty four, um, Super Mario Sunshine, and Mario Galaxy one. Um, it was like really shoddy, weird compilation of. Well, Mario sixty four used to be an excellent game, and it's an important game. Um, no one should go and play that game anymore. It is, it is, it is old and creaky, and it is, it is graduated to historical artifact status. Where I want to see what happened to the when the analog stick was introduced and. Nintendo just suddenly figured out the 3D camera on their first attempt. Uh, but th- that game is just so do du- like the bones of it are excellent. The level design remains great. And I want to revisit that game, but I don't want to play the version that came out in the nineties. Like I would love for them to revisit <laughs> that game and do to it. What's what square did to final fantasy seven. I don't, you know, don't know if we, I mean there's a lot of lore associated with Mario 64. Is Yoshi on the roof? Where is Luigi? <laughs> um, these are things you read in the rumor section of EGM for many years after Mario yeah. 64 came out. Um, but I, I that's a game that I would is is so ripe for them to just start from scratch on uh, using what's already there because I think it would they could do a lot of really cool stuff with it. They have it, to well, include well, parallel universes. It has to be in there so we can get another half button press on the remake as well. Oh God, yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> Ren. Sorry, and you. I was gonna say, and Patrick, you got this Super Mario sixty four DS. <laughs> I That's played how that I played game. that game. Do you remember the the, the thumb pad? Yes, I do. So <laughs> That's how I played that game. This is old enough that oh it, it is worth God. explaining. This 
And this this is the insulting thing. These are the insulting things that Nintendo does to, to Mario 64 over the years. When the DS came out and they had no games for it. Um, but don't worry, they did have a port of uh Super Mario 64, which did look fine. Like it was impress it was impressive to see that running on on a handheld, especially because at that point we were used to handhelds largely being 2D devices. Uh but it was the introduction of the dual screen. The uh Nintendo DS did not have an analog stick. Uh, and like they simulated an analog. So what you were, Ren, you have to remind me here. So they basically had this, this thing that connected to a, a, like a, it was like a piece of plastic that you would put down on the second screen, the lower screen, which was, uh, visually emulating an analog stick. And then you would run your thumb along the screen, uh, to produce like an analog stick function. Was that? For the camera, it was, I guess, no, because you were using that on, like, your left hand to move and then using, like, the ABYX to uh, to emulate the, 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 the camera movements of Mario 64, right? The yellow buttons from the N64 controller? I th- Is that right? I th- I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, it was left hand controls the D-pad, controls movement. No. Hmm. Fuck, Patrick, I can't remember. This is so nightmarish that, like, we've all collectively it played surprisingly it. well. No, here's uh, the thing. I'm, I'm going to push okay. back on this. As a chi- oh, yeah, child no, Renata, uh-huh. sure. child Renata uh-huh. was like, this plays fine. Hey, mm-hmm. this plays totally fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? I stand by child Renata. I'm sure she was correct. Yeah. Well, you know. Uh... I've never been wrong in my life. <laughs> And children are never wrong. That's what mm-hmm. I've learned with two of my own. They're never so there wrong. Was, They're always it looks like right. there was an option. Standard mode, the default was you just use the D-pad to control everything, which... Terrible. <laughs> Bad. <laughs> but then in touch mode, the character is mm. controlled by having the player move their thumb or the stylus on the touch screen. Oh, yeah, you can emulate the analog stick with the, with the stylus. What garbage. What, what, <laughs> By using the thumb or stylus, the player can oh. adjust the character's speed and direction. This similar, similar to what was possible with the controls, N64 control stick. Bad. <laughs> it was cool to have the map on, on, on the other screen, though. I will I will say that. That was a, a neat uh, trick of the, of the DS. So... This only reinforces they if they have never given Mario sixty four uh, its due. That is, I mean, Nintendo doesn't really do remakes, so I, I don't really expect them to ever do this. You know, you know, Ocarina of Time is also would be sort of due for kind of a full full refresh, but uh, uh, Mario sixty four is is my choice. They like kind of do remakes in that they make kind new of. games that are very closely related, right? <laughs> So I think, yeah, so one problem I have with this is we're talking about games like, do I want a remake of a game like Thief? And not really, I kind of like what Thief is. And when I want to say like how it would be reinterpreted for modern era, I've got games like Dishonored that I can go to, right? Like, or man, like, can you imagine how they would sort of reinterpret uh, the Wing Commander Kilrathi games, the <laughs> Kilrathi saga from Wing Commander? Like, well, one, they might reconsider the whole we're fighting a big race of giant house cats uh, <laughs> as the conceit for that series. Um, that, I like, hope that, not. That goofy little not. touch might be reconsidered, or they might reconsider <laughs> the fact that uh, the house cats are just genetically uh, genocidal, and so the only nice one you meet uh, turns out to have been like, uh, like deep cover sleeper agent Manchurian candidate, so he could pass as a non-genocidal house cat, 
uh, and then betrays you in the third game. And it's like, well, even the good one turned out to be evil. So yes, we have to like destroy their planet. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> but oh, no, <laughs> but like the thing is, do I like, do I want like, man, I just want like a modern wing commander game. I don't know. Like so much of it is about like the it's whole star vibe citizen. You're games. fine. You're good. You're good. Jesus Christ. <laughs> but <laughs> I guess, uh, where I would where I would love for them just to go buck wild, especially now that it, you could do it with intention, where I don't think intent existed. I would love the entire Kyle Katarn series just sort of reimagined uh, for like Star Wars first person shooters so like Dark Forces, Dark Forces 2, Jedi Knight, Jedi Knight, Jedi Outcat, like all this stuff like rationalize it and put it into like a coherent arc and also just turn it into maybe not like a modern modern shooter but like do something interesting that is sort of consistent with both the different eras of uh shooter that the dark forces uh and jedi game sort of encompass uh but also do something interesting with like how the star wars universe has been retconned and changed uh since this all began uh so well that's amazing so curious about the, the the respawn like they're doing a star wars shooter you know uh and it you know they're uh, uh the, the the last star wars game they made was was like a solid b like a really interesting like it was it yeah. was good enough and i i quite liked it and i'm excited to see what they do next but like in my heart of hearts like i am so curious to see what respawn does with a star wars shooter because it could it could be you know i you know, you can't really do what is modern Dark Forces because that is just not without a, a modern like Janor's dating minigame. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's from the Boomer Shooter era, right? Like, you just can't. Like, what does that even mean? Like, but do I want to watch? Like, yeah, I want that gun like flipped to this side. I forget that gun was like the one the, the main laser shooter you were always shooting. Oh, right, right, right. Dark uh, Forces. Yeah, you know what I'm talking so, about. So well, there was your Briar pistol. Uh, yes, which was weirdly enough also your. It was like the weapon. AK equivalent. Like it was like the you know well, the, the fat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the uh, Imperial Repeater. I want. Yes, to say. I think that's right. Yeah. I think that's right. So uh, no, but but I think you, in yeah. those games, are you playing someone that's force sensitive but uses a gun? Oh, dude. Lit- okay, so Kato. All right. <laughs> oh, oh, so just, here's the deal. <laughs> <laughs> Rob has been activated. Okay, so Dark Forces One. You play as Kyle Katarn, who is an ex Imperial Commando who. Uh, disgusted with the Empire, crosses over the Rebellion and becomes a, like, mercenary, uh, like, uh, commando slash saboteur for hire uh, that is working with the Rebellion. Uh-huh. And he just goes on missions. And that game is entirely like Doom. So, like, that is okay. Star Wars Doom. Uh, and they're, weirdly enough, it's a game without quick saves uh, or, or saves of any kind. So you get three lives to go through what were enormous levels for the time they like <laughs> made huge sprawling ambitious levels uh and then also limited you on lives and so you would just have to be like you saw a white knuckle that game was 20 levels long and the later ones you're like i can't <laughs> it was like two and a half hours to get to this point i'm in my last Damn. life like yeah you've never felt more alive uh than, <laughs> than when you're playing those levels uh but yeah, so that first game, it's 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 all guns, it's all shooting. Every weapon had like a secondary fire mode. Uh, it was a very cool game. Dig it. Uh, Dark Forces 2, crazily enough, like released like one year later. But in that one mm. year, games go from looking like Doom to looking like Thief. 
basically like oh, dark shame, forces right. two was uh like the full uh 3d uh polygonal models and that you start out kyle katarn it's time for him to unlock the secret of like what happened to his family turns out dark jedi happened to his family <laughs> and the reason dark jedi happened to his family is after a couple like you know levels of you're running around shooting people again uh, you find your family's ancestral lightsaber and like the Jedi temple that was oh like under your family's oh like, house. <laughs> and so the rest of the game, you are learning force abilities. And there's this cool thing they do where like you start out, you don't have enough force abilities to really make it viable to fully go over the lightsaber. Like you can barely block shots. You can like run up to slash people, but like it's not, not effective. Uh, but you keep dumping like, force power like force stat abilities into your force powers and unlocking more of them and there's a changeover that happens where it's like why would i shoot these stormtroopers when i can simply rip all the weapons out of their hands and then launch my lightsaber (laughs) and like guide it on a path through the room to cut them all down amazing and that's what happens over dark forces uh uh like uh dark forces too and then at that point it moves out of lucas's hands and this is where they start working with was it raven patrick yeah uh, that Activ- makes like Activ- activision sort of takes over the license i think at this yeah point. it was probably um, i think i think it ends up through activision going over to raven uh right and, and this is where it makes make, the jump from a doom shooter to like a third person um, yeah and, and they make the, a game that's like we played a bit of jedi academy uh mm-hmm. at the anniversary yeah. but they also make a game uh like jedi outcast is jedi outcast 2 point is i thought that was the important part Kyle Katarn's uh, like uh, buddy uh, Jan Ors, who's his pilot and like co-conspirator and all this, they end up like hooking up. But of course, she gets kidnapped by a rogue, uh, a rogue dark Jedi who uh-huh. did not have a good time at Luke Skywalker's Jedi Academy. Ah, and so you got to wander through the universe and you meet all your friends from Star Wars. Lando Calrissian, he loves Kyle Katarn and knows who he is. Lando's <laughs> like, hey, Kyle, how are things with Jan? And uh, Kyle's uh, like, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I haven't seen Jan in a bit. And Lando's like, oh, man, I've been there. Relationships, right? Women, what are you going to do? And he's like, uh, actually, she was kidnapped by like uh, like this this dark Jedi. And Lando's like, oh, my bad. I can probably help you. I can tell you where Luke is. And so shit like that. Yeah. And there you you sort of unrenounce your Jedi powers. And uh, get that's really just the lightsaber styles, I want to mm. say. And they get more into that. Uh, it's good shit. So the that point is, though, all this, great. like you can sort of see every game <laughs> well, is sort of randomly connected to star wars and like various concepts mm. of what star wars is what if the but, respawn game is just dark forces well here's the thing that I was thinking i'm just of. ripping my shirt off Woo! <laughs> it. just yes ah oh. the thing i'm thinking <laughs> that respawn station powers activate yeah the thing i'm thinking about with respawn is how good their movement is and how like if mm-hmm. you're playing a first play- person shooter but the person happens to be force sensitive and can do fucking sick jumps and wall runs and all that shit like I'm excited mm-hmm. now, right? To like have that that mesh, you know? <laughs> like, that Rob sounds fucking great. Nodding. <laughs> just yeah. just imagine reinterpreting the original Dark Forces with its uh incredible levels with uh you know sheer drops, uh like tons oh of God. uh like vertical elements in in levels. Now just imagine that with wall running. I was thinking a Titanfall movement. God, a Titanfall movement Star Wars game. I would lose my fucking yeah. shit. Yeah. Oh that my sounds God. fucking sick as hell. <laughs> 
So the point is, imagine you take all these games where it's like they're starting. We're making Star Wars Doom, and we're gonna have like you can look up or down more. That's cool, right? And it is cool. (laughs) But then the next game is like, what about lightsaber? Seems weird to have a Star Wars game shooter that doesn't have lightsaber. Yeah, gotta have lightsabers. Gotta have that. And then they're like, oh, man, you should probably have a third-person action thing for lightsabers because it's kind of tricky to handle in first person. Right. Imagine now if that entire thing is like synthesized in a way that's like right. satisfying. Right. Uh, and like Kyle Katarn just doesn't become a, a dude who like Forrest Gumps into whatever type of Star Wars game they need <laughs> at the time. Right. Uh, he, was oh, the, he was always he was there when oh. you also know. Dark Forces <laughs> Two, tons of FMV, dude. By the way, great. If you if you want to see like. <laughs> They they were like a rose gallery of dark Jedi uh, that they that they imagined uh, for for FMV and it's just it's it's incredible. Oh, so they you know, do. I was just looking up. I guess I I thought Dark Forces one and two were both Doom style games, but I guess Jedi Knight t- Dark Forces two is where they make the jump to the yeah. third person stuff. Okay, I thought they made two of those. I guess it's just the one. Yeah, and there is some there is some killer FMV in this. That's great. That's I great. want. I want the Star Wars Titanfall game so bad. I can't stop thinking about doing like a slide underneath, uh, underneath something, and then using your lightsaber to cut out like the the ankle of of like a fucking ATAT or some shit. That's too big, but you know what it's I mean. Too big, but ATST you can do that. ATST, yeah, exactly. Slide underneath the leg, just delicious. Uh, yeah, so Patrick, you just found a picture of so there's there's a junior dark Jedi in Dark Forces too mm-hmm. that like is he really fully lost to the dark side? Who can say? Maybe the moral choices you make over the course of the game will inform his ultimate fate. So because there's like neutral Jedi powers, and then there's good Jedi powers, yep, which suck, and then there's bad <laughs> Jedi powers which rule and feel the force like lightning. Powers. Yes, yeah, like, which is like, Would you rather I, heal I, yourself? I, I, or electrocute the person who offended you by causing you need to you to need to be healed. I agree. So they're, they're dark Jedi, not Sith, because oh, it's all it's all blurry, dude. <laughs> they they we like, don't have to get into it, but like there's it's just very there's, funny. there's also the expansion Mysteries of the Sith, the Sith, oh. in which Kyle Katarn hangs out with Luke Skywalker's girlfriend Mara Jade. And you like you got playable Mara Jade, yeah, Kyle, amazing. What's up? Uh, I was just kept noticing that whenever we see Kyle Katarn's name, we say all of Kyle Katarn's name because motherfucker is just named Kyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> no, Kyle's not a Star Wars name. No, not at all. But Kyle, Kyle Katarn. Katarn is, yeah. but Kyle, motherfucker's named Kyle. <laughs> I guess yep. Luke is Luke, but still, I don't know. That has a little bit more like. There's a biblical sense to Luke, I guess, but fucking Kyle. Right. <laughs> what's the name of the one in Fallen Order? What's 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 that dope's name? Archie. Archie, yeah. Archie Archie Andrews. Actually the Joker. The Joker. His name is the Joker. What is his name? Fuck, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's if I remember right, it's it's extremely corny. Cal. Cal Cal. Cal that's more, that's yeah. more Star Wars Yeah. God damn, that's Archie Andrews though. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> like it feels like they yeah. wanted to get KJ Appa, but couldn't. Yeah. And on KJ Appa, I'm like calling up, being like, uh, I don't think I want to see your reference. They they naughty dog Elliot paged. They yeah. naughty dog Elliot paged him. Uh yeah, very much. Uh but yeah, so that's that's my uh I think it would be cool to see those sort of remade and reinterpreted. Plus, like, it'd be nifty to play around with the like 
to that point about like what ff7 is doing with like canonicity and like the stories you know but also like changing it a bit i think you would make and they would never let you do this because the license holders would just not be cool with it and it's in such contested space but i think a game that also sort of plays around with this idea of like fundamentally dark forces or creatures of the old expanded universe and now like you'd be putting it in dialogue with a different canon continuity i think there's some interesting stuff you could do with that as well um so i think it'd be it'd be cool it'd be an experiment uh worth running uh ren did you have a a secretly longed for remake i've been i've been scraping my brain for the problem is that every time they do one for a game that i really like they fuck it up yeah and so i've stopped <laughs> i've stopped wanting like i would a <sighs> mech warrior five mercenaries is a very mid game mech warrior two mercenaries fucking own yes yes and i would love to see a true mech warriors mech warrior two mercenaries um mech warrior uh, two, like few things are better than that opening cut scene which opens on how did you get the job of the new mercenary commander because the dropship pilot left your old co to die on a mission gone bad and she's like at the gate to the dropship as he's <laughs> pulling up the ramp and he's like i'm not being paid enough to die and that's it and that's how you get that's like that's how you take over your pal's business uh because <laughs> in the mech warrior universe there's just a point uh-huh. where the guy is sitting there with a meter running and it's like it is no longer profitable to provide you extraction beautiful shit rules i love oh it's so good but i think you you would have to really reinterpret it like sort of that work they did with um 3062 advanced Mm. mech warrior 2 mercenaries runs in the problem of there's so many weapon systems that there's just builds that completely break the game into like itty bitty pieces and i think like that's one thing you'd have to like sort of invest some system design in in like taking all that stuff that exists in the setting and actually create it as like compelling gameplay options as opposed to yeah i don't know you just walk up to a guy with a with a trio of lbx 20 auto cannons and that's just one shots everything (laughs) as long as you got the lbx ammo all good say that is oh man i really want a mech warrior game where it gives you all the broken shit but the broken shit only works under very specific environmental conditions. And that's that's what yeah. I'm looking for. Let me let me run the like four PPC mech. Uh, but that shit can only run in a planet that is cold as fuck during a rainstorm. And that is the <laughs> only way you are fielding that mech is if you are in the yeah. perfect conditions for it and then let the conditions change during the mission. That's what I want. That's what I want. Let me do the fucked up shit and then take it away from me at the last minute. Video games. <laughs> uh, lighter question here from our friend Waz. Dear Waypoint, what food best compliments a cup of coffee? Ooh. What kind of coffee? I guess your default cup of coffee, like what you generally have, like just on a random day where it's like, I'm going to make mm. myself a quick cup of something caffeinated. Like, what's your... What would that be? And then what's the little snack that is ideal with it? Because for me, if like I love like I love a cup of black coffee, and for me though, the best thing to go with it is something sweet. Like I like the mm-hmm. the sweet and like bitter combination is is perfection. Like it does not get better for me. Uh, so like I'm a big fan of the like dark bitter strong coffee, and then like 
a slice of uh, chocolate cake or something like that. You're like, great. Love it. I mean, it's two things for me. When I get a latte, give me a croissant. Mm-hmm. Ooh, give me just a little, give me a flaky little, little bread guy. Ooh. Oh, hell yeah. A little pastry. But if I'm drinking straight espresso, which I do very frequently, this is what I, I had this morning was my, my little bit of espresso. The ideal thing for an espresso is, of course, just like the idiotic bit of ice cream. Uh, but I'm not going to do that in the morning when I just woke up. But the espresso ice cream combination yes. is such an all-timer yeah. um, that I cannot help but long for it. I... I was going to say, I can't do the, the like super sweet with a cup of coffee because it usually, to me, accentuates the wrong things of the coffee if I'm having something that's too sweet. So I was, my answer is actually a croissant, something bready and has a, the slightest bit of sweetness in it, right? Like as far as breads go, as croissant mm-hmm. can be kind of on the sweeter end, but isn't fully actually have sugar in it, you know? Um, that's my favorite for sure. With with anything, honestly, cold coffee, hot coffee, I love a croissant. Croissants are delicious. A chocolate donut from Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> with your what Dunkin' coffee Donuts coffee. Yeah, with what kind of coffee, coffee are you doing it with? You're you're not going to Dunkin' Donuts and think like thinking about what are my options. You, you get you get the the coffee. They the get coffee. You. You're not. You say coffee, and they hand you a cup. They hand you a (laughs) cup. That's Patrick Speed. Mm -hmm. I don't want to think about it. Like, what kind of what kind of flavors you want? Coffee. Can you just give me the coffee? Thank you. Coffee and a chocolate donut, please. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. See, I spent pretty much all of my high school years uh, in a Dunkin' Donuts after school for like two to three hours a day uh, after school, and I became. Uh, d- deeply acquainted with that menu because even if I didn't order that shit, I heard other people do it, and then I got <laughs> sad for the people working there until the one day I was cursed by a witch in that establishment, and then I stopped going. Uh, our next pounds. email comes from Willem, and it's uh, it's a bit of a longer one about uh, games archiving, but I think it's worth worth reading. Hi, Waypoint crew, long-time listener to the pod. It's taken me some time to add my first question to the bucket. Your question, more questions about video games and questions for Patrick in episode 497. I was very curious about a topic that he wrote about shortly before his break. Patrick wrote a great feature on the video game archive built by Embracer Group in Sweden. I thought it might be interesting to offer another viewpoint on the preservation of video game history throughout a different, throughout a different lens. I work at the National Institute for Sound and Vision in the Netherlands, the largest audiovisual archive in our country. It was founded to specifically archive television and radio from public broadcasting services, but has evolved to preserve and archive more forms of digital media, including video games. While the Netherlands isn't one of the major players in the video game industry, we do have a surprisingly rich history when it comes to international successes. Jazz Jackrabbit, Amsterdam, Studio of Lambeer, and the games from Gorilla like Killzone and Horizon are the most well-known, as well as being adjacent to hardware and innovation, the Philips CDI console, and lots of software for the Commodore 64. To streamline our efforts, we've been looking at games archival and preservation through the lens of a Dutch games canon. Uh, There's a a link here that Wilm's good enough to provide, where we've selected about 70 or so games as the most important in the shipping of Dutch gaming history. In the shaping of Dutch gaming history. Uh, These range from the earlier mentioned studios to serious games and games related to television programs from the public broadcasters as well. 
This has been the jump off point for us in attempting to archive and preserve these titles. It saves us from having to go out and buy up games from the secondhand market uh, nor collect the same all-time classics that most archives or collectors already own. Our approach doesn't simply end with purchase the game in the box and put it on the protected shelf. We wanted to make sure that these games are preserved for eternity and can be accessed by future generations for research, registration, and exchanges with other cultural institutions. To that end, we work actively with the rights holders of these games to give us permission to archive their titles. We don't take ownership of their games. We are not allowed to republish their work, but attempt to archive their work in a form that can be accessed long after hardware dies or software is no longer supported. Over the last few years, I've heard more and more from the gaming industry itself about attempting to preserve their legacy. Uh, from Sony having reportedly stated their own in-house art. Sony reportedly started their own in-house archive, uh, Nintendo opening their own museum in Kyoto in a few years. My question is, how do you think that video game companies controlling their own archives will impact the broader gaming industry as a whole? While a company like Sony certainly has the resources and connections to archive their own studios and projects, the gaming, the gaming industry has rarely shown uh, to be proactive towards preservation efforts, be it through their strict control of re-releasing games or their general lack of participation in attempted preservation efforts. Uh, from my own point of view, this would further fragment the already fragmented preservation scene. There's a lack of resources on preserving games history because not only hardware and software provides a challenge, but also the ways in which these things have been localized for specific markets over time. Fan communities are absolutely the backbone of video game preservation, but they tend to work using their own methods, which can be susceptible to loss of access over time. I.e., what if a prominent community member, member passes away? Other uh, institutions such as the National Video Game Museum in Texas, the Strong in New York, uh, and the Video Game History Foundation are providing great work, as well as dozens of other places all around the globe, but we're all facing an uphill battle, especially with the increasing rise of acquisitions, which further makes tracking down rights holders a nightmare to make sure the acquisition is done via traceable steps. And that's before we get to providing access to these archives for researchers so the preserved games can be understood and shared and shared how they help uh, shape the industry. It's a complex topic, but I really want to share how we approach our archive and would love to know how the Waypoint crew thinks about video game preservation. Have there perhaps been things you've actively tried to preserve from your own history with video games? Kind regards, Willem. The thing that immediately comes to mind, uh, the video games are starting to get into, but is more prominent in film at the moment is as physical media is becoming less important or even like profitable for uh, like the average studio where it used to be, you release a movie, you release a TV show. There's going to be a box set. There's going to be a physical release that is going away. One of the big signs of that recently was that uh, Criterion is releasing a uh, Wally, uh, you know, uh, release. Um which is a like a poor sign if you like physical objects. But one of the things that's happened in film is that there has been an increasing uh, creation of boutique studios who, if you've bought physical media in the last like five years, the discs fucking suck. Like the picture might be okay, but there's no special features. Like there is no love for what has been released. But if you bought something from Criterion or Shout Factory is like one of the ones I buy from all the time because they're constantly putting out obscure horror stuff. And where film seems to be going is uh, there's less – you cannot guarantee that everything will get a physical release. But you, the companies that are have propped themselves up as we are – we take physical very seriously. The discs are going to be exquisite. They are going to be treated like historical 
uh, monuments um, as as they should be, and we'll and and the, the, it runs the gamut of mainstream stuff to obscure like seventies cult trash that wouldn't have gotten a release anyway unless you have a, a you know a studio like Shout Factory working to negotiate the rights, and the, the original rights holders don't have any interest in releasing it because the profits don't make sense to them. But Shout Factory has a dedicated community that will buy almost everything they put out. And the studio gets money for something they put no effort into. And then we end up with a 4K release of like some obscure film, right? And so when I think about preservation beyond just like the broader, like there should be an archive of things that like can be accessed. I look at like the the most recent uh, Konami Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, collection, which is a co- collect like Kawabunga collection, I think it is, which was done, I think, with Digital Eclipse, which is essentially becoming sort of a Shout Factory-esque studio in which the uh the Kawabunga collection has like every I think every Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle game like ever made or like damn near close and has folks like Chris Kohler who are like kind of like gaming historians like went through the archives at Konami like sorted through their shit that collection has games that would not be profitable to release unless it was part of a collection and that collection by all accounts like is really well like preserved emulated properly um and so when I think a lot about like the future of games is like, I hope there are more studios like that, that are like the video game shout factory that can go to a Konami can go to, it won't happen at Nintendo, but like some of these studios that just have tons of old properties that they are just going to do absolutely nothing with. But there is an audience that will show up and want to play these games when they're treated with respect and as a historical artifact. And I just hope we get more of that. I would love to see more like, like, you know, ex-journalists, like, go in and, like, can work with studios to, like, build these collections and then have them released properly in a way that Konami makes a couple of bucks. But also we get, like, look, like, the entirety of the Teenage Mutant Turtles, like, video game franchise as it exists to this point exists lovingly and is accessible and has historical documents and special features um, to give you a sense of, like, its place in history. I would love to see more of that. Yeah, I think um, the probably draw like the 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 fact that like the growing hostility to this kind of uh, physical media uh, approach from from industries like film uh, is, is really notable. Where like there's a clear emphasis on even the things we will begrudgingly put out are clearly meant to be like minimal and disposable. They're not they're not objects to be valued or or kept around uh, longer than they serve a very a very basic purpose. Um, I think for, for me. Uh, something I worry a lot about is that what do we mean by accessible? Like that we can go to a place and like interact and touch these objects is cool. But like how many of us are going to make it to that place? Like I think about ages ago, Chicago public library um, did a similar thing, archiving a ton of like the local programming on public TV uh, from like the fifties and sixties Um and they they archived a ton of it uh, and put it in their in their facilities. You can go watch it. And like, I remember like my dad was really excited because when he was a little boy, uh, one thing he really loved watching was this uh, guy Captain Kangaroo. Uh, it was a small like niche market uh, kid mm-hmm. show from uh, in Chicagoland. And so like we we go down there one day and we we watch a bunch of this this old stuff. And you you're sitting there in like their research terminals, right? You put in the headphones and you watch like it's basically you open up their serving of access to like a, a limited YouTube that has some of the stuff on it. Uh, but any bozo like, buckets, 
uh, alongside there, Rob. Pardon? <laughs> Bozo Buckets. That was also yeah. Bozo is known more nationally. More but nationally, that, like, but yeah, but another but, like but that is that product. is a, that is a Chicago product. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, but so but the thing is, like, that's cool, and it was really neat that I was able to share that and such. But also required journeying to like the main branch of Chicago Public Library and, right. and doing all that. I think something that I worry about with a lot of archival efforts is like it turns into like sort of a research archive where like technically this stuff is logged um preserved etc but it is not seed it is not made so available that like there's a possibility for it to get like seeded out in the wider culture uh where people are going to react like have a chance to interact with it and engage with it on the day-to-day and that's where i i do worry a bit about this stuff where i like these archival efforts i i like that it is it is happening these efforts are underway but at the same time i think when we talk about like the games industry being horrible at preserving its own past. I think one of the main things we're talking about is uh, the, the ways intentional and unintentional, the things are made unavailable to, uh, you know, modern audiences to, to, to people who want to go back and revisit games, either because of the hardware uh, environment is so different. That it's just hard to get these things working uh, on modern machines or, you know, more pointedly, the fact that uh, the games themselves are just taken out of market uh, and sort of disappeared and locked away behind uh, various confusing, you know, as Willem alludes to, various confusing transfers of IP ownership that just get murkier uh, with with successive years of acquisition. So that's why that's what I tend to worry a lot about with um, with with archi- archiving and preservation is just it's not enough that something just be saved somewhere. It's that it has to have, I think, a, a decent chance of of being something that people can appreciate and interact with uh, without necessarily having to go to the place and actually get physical access to that archive. That's that's kind of that's that's kind of my fear. It's it's where I become uh, probably a little more, uh, a, and by a little more, I mean a lot more, just completely chill with the idea of. Yep, the, the the people who were defending piracy in like the late nineties, early two thousands is the only way to like guarantee these things remained available because like corporate interests did not care about it. They were all right. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. they were hundred percent right. Like the the IP rights holders got everything they wanted from digital distribution and, and digital rights management. Um and they have used that power to like cut off access to a tremendous number of uh, like creative works. And so I've, I've sort of come back around to, I appreciate that everyone's got to work with these partners in the effort of archiving, if you're doing it the official way, but I've also come around to the idea of, you know, probably the best thing people can do to make sure this stuff continues to exist in the world is like rampantly steal it and put it up in places where like the man isn't going to look. Well, look at the Nintendo Giga Leak, right? Like the from two summers ago, in which there was just essentially a bunch of stolen material um, that was just uploaded, just click upload, um, and it was full of you know like old designs for Yoshi and other like other prototype like just stuff that we just never would have seen. Nintendo's not that type of company, even if they put out like a really thoroughly researched like like well collaborated documentary. It's going to be one that like probably didn't show most of that, those rough edges. And they were so fucking interesting to see all of those rough edges. Um, 
And that's a little bit different than just, you know, getting access to the like raw, you know, sort of like the games that are released, you know, that's kind of the bare minimum. But stuff like that was just utterly fascinating because there's just not only is there no uh, document, like I'm sure that's even who knows how formally documented that even is within Nintendo beyond like being stored on a server. But there's just zero incentive for that to ever be unearthed or released uh, unless it is actually stolen and released mm-hmm. in a the most haphazard way possible and then sorted by fans to figure out what what they what they've actually found. I also think that the other thing that's happening here is like regarding like accessibility is that in terms of like location, having things readily accessible also means that like you're going to have an entire generation of devs who are learning early from like what are considered like fundamental texts of the industry because they are properly accessible and archivable. Um, That is part of like what I often think about with emulation is that like a lot of people get into like development programming and modding through emulation uh, and learn a lot of those skills and like basic groundwork through those processes. And so like they are not only essential to like preservation, but also as uh, learning tools for the people who continue to go then go on and make things. There's another question that we'll ask, which is, has anyone here tried to like or or thought about like preserving stuff from their own their own gaming past? Like, not really. I think for me, it was. Um, I really regret having gotten rid of over the years, and then eventually, a ton of stuff was like taken out by by a flood at my family's house. But like, I really wish I still had all the giant ass old PC game boxes from when I was a kid when they came out and things the size of a fucking shoebox <laughs> to like pack. Sometimes in. they were triangles, which I think Thief, oh, Thief came in a triangle. Yeah, I feel like that did oh have my God. That, like that a triangle box. Uh but Some, like, that was that was like a way they tried to to stand out was by like literally manipulating yeah. the size of, of the box sometimes. Um and I distinctly remember PC gaming boxes not only being the size of like a Stephen King novel. Oh, they were enormous. Um um like cool I art, I go, tons of text oh yeah they were just I mean, they barely fit any on the shelves i remember going to like comp usa like one of those like big computer warehouse places in the midwest in the 90s and it was just like you'd have to go down seven aisles of games because they couldn't fit much on each row but like and also like tend to be jammed with like tons of like the big manual and then like you know uh other content as part or, of or like the ones where i think the wing commander ones did this where there would be a layer to open. Like you were almost like opening a yeah. page of a book. Um, so like, yes, you they're, they're like, so if you were looking at it, it's almost like you were opening like the front page and then inside there would be like descriptions of the game or like weird artwork or like sometimes they would layer the artwork so that it was like kind of a transparent thing that you would see. And then it would change upon opening. Like they just did so many cool, unique things with box art. And I wish, or, and I wish I, like, and, and some of the documentation was incredible too. I remember I got the, um, I can't remember if this was specific to Secret Weapons of the Luftwaffe or if it was only for the compilation trilogy that LucasArts put out for Larry Holland's uh, World War II Combat Sim series. But I remember like a really thick uh, like ring binder instruction manual uh, for uh, for these games that had just a ton of research material uh, sort of woven through it, you know, introduction to dogfighting tactics with like long interviews. The people actually like, like, you know, flew combat missions in world war two. And it was like, wow, this is an incredible approach to like history archiving as well. Uh, you know, as, as part of the, the documentation for this thing, it's really cool. Have none of that stuff. Um, and 
you know, obviously you, you remember the standouts. Most of these boxes were full of empty air. You know, it's like you rattle it and there's like a half dozen 3.5 floppies uh, just like thwapping <laughs> against the, the side of the box and like a shitty quick reference card uh, that would not tell you anything about how to play the game. Sure, that was that was true as well. But like that's that's probably what I regret like not having access to is uh, from that like most lavish era of video game packaging. Uh, let's see here. I completely misplaced. I miss the smell of a new game manual. Hmm. You know that I don't know what was the paper or the ink. I think or it's what. the paper and the ink, right? I think Together. there's just like types of paper stock and printing, yeah. like to, like like had a different yeah. feel. I remember absolutely destroying the manual to um uh the Pokemon Red from just, just hopping it too just, hard. No, from. <laughs> I'm just like flipping through it constantly all the time. Even after I knew every, all of the facts that were in there, it was still, Oh, I remember the illustrations in there were good. And yeah, it did smell. Super Mario Brothers op- really felt it wanted to give you lore about each of the monsters. Yeah. You dealt with. And Fuck yes. It's like <laughs> entire, like a sketch and a little paragraph about who this little dude is. And like, maybe it mattered. No, but it mattered that I now knew who that guy was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, we got a good one here. Nathan from San Diego. Dear Waypoint crew, your recent conversation about stout heads and alcohol enthusiasts reminded me of a great story about an embarrassing faux pas which haunts me and my public persona to this day. It was a Thanksgiving dinner and the second time meeting my girlfriend's parents. As the evening was winding down, I was sipping a Coke Zero to sober up a bit and not get too sleepy. My girlfriend's dad leaned over and asked if I liked stouts, and when I said, yes, I love them, he said, you've got to try this, and grabbed a bottle from the fridge and poured me eight ounces of a thick imperial stout. It was delicious, and he informed me it was some brand called Black Tuesday. Now, being an imperial stout, it was both very high on alcohol content and almost syrupy in mouthfeel. Mm. Halfway through, I thought, man, this is a lot, and made the great mistake of beholding my options before me. Hey, you know what might taste great went through my head and cut to me pouring the remains of my Coke Zero into this stout. Dude. For those who do not know, as I do now, Black Tuesday is a limited-run premium stout exclusive to members of The Brewery. This particular run was a once in a decade Maple Black Tuesday that heightened the exclusivity. (laughs) And I had just made a soda fountain suicide drink of it in Coke Zero. (laughs) Needless to say, my girlfriend's dad was horrified. The fallout of this faux pas would have been contained to me eating crow for a while until I made amends by getting a replacement bottle. Not Maple, though. Those are still not available, except... He tweeted about his disappointment to his friends and followers who were also big beer aficionados. Now I live with the nickname Zero when I show up at my girlfriend's parents' parties. Bro. What faux pas have the crew committed in front of significant others' families? Oh my god, that's amazing. Well, this is out there. I'm going to say that right away. Uh, I Oh, boy. That's rough. I would just, A nickname you know, that is... follows you around, too. 
Yeah. This isn't uh but you know what? This I isn't bet my fault. I bet they enjoyed oh. that. Oh, sorry. No, no, yeah. I no, I think you're right. I, look, like if you can hold something over another a person that is like both harmless and also extremely embarrassing, <laughs> there are a few objects more powerful than that. The one this made me uh when I moved to California with my wife, we had uh we've been together for about a year and a half and she she came out with me uh cuz we didn't want to break up, you know, I had to move to California for work and we were staying for a little while with her family that lives south of San Francisco while we were trying to find an apartment because we had no money. And so the budget like really restricted the kind of apartments we could look at and and all that. So they, they were gracious enough to allow us to stay there for a little while. And one of the early first days we were there, um, the big seafood people um, and I had not had a ton of experience with seafood uh, to that point, just was like I grew up in the Midwest. My parents like, yeah, I guess they made salmon every once in a while. But like sushi, things like that were just like not part of what I ate <laughs> growing up. And and I got like a little bit of that in college. But it really wasn't until I was 22, moved to California and was just like exposed to a lot more kinds of food that I, that I grew to, to enjoy quite a bit. Um, and one of the things we had one of the early nights there was an oyster shooter. Um, uh, I don't know how to describe an oyster shoot. It's like in like tomato juice, right? Like in, it's like a shot and you like mm. sort of, it's like a drink that you eat sort of, uh, and it, it, it kind of goes down really quick and food that you drink I, pretty much. <laughs> um, and I had one of those and, uh, at dinner and then I, like 10 minutes later, I could feel my stomach just revolt oh, no. like the like, like you could just feel mm-hmm. like oh things are horribly wrong down yeah. there um and so i excused myself uh, from people like sitting around like having a drink i was like uh i'm gonna go to the bathroom um and didn't feel like i needed to go to the bathroom quite yet I, because frankly i wasn't sure w- which I wasn't sure which hole this was going to come out of if I'm like being oh, like no. extremely gross. I was like, I don't know. I don't because the stomach was rumbling, but I don't know what the consequence of this was going to be. And so um, I was in the bathroom for a little while. And then my wife came and checked on me. And she's like, are you OK? I was like, I'm I'm not. I feel really ill. It must have been that oyster shooter. I don't know what the deal is. Um, so why don't you go lay down? Um, so I went and like laid down in the bedroom and she said that, you know, I was, I was, uh, you know, not, not feeling well, but probably be out in a couple of minutes when it passed. And, um, I have a horrible stomach. Like it's something I inherited from my mom. And so I have gotten sick hundreds of times in my life. I, I am very familiar with the onset of like, I'm about to throw up. Um, and so usually I'm well prepared for that. Like, Go get in the bathroom, get situated. Like, I know that my bad stomach is going to do bad stomach things. So I'm laying on the bed and I get no warning. My body just goes goodbye. And all over myself, um, the bedspread, the floor. I have just met these people for like roughly, not the first time, but it's like the opening gambit. Um, And I have to like, call around the the, the hallway oh for help warn my wife before she comes in 
that like a murder has occurred. Um, <laughs> this isn't on you. This isn't on you. You made the right decision. You put yourself in the in the moral position, and you were removed from it. You were told to leave the moral uh, yeah, position. I mean, yeah, like again, I'm I'm not blaming myself for anything that happened, but it's the closest I can think of of just oh. like. A, you know, an important family member, like a, one, a close, like one of my wife's closest cousins, her wife, their two kids, they're hosting us. We're there a couple of days. I have this oyster shooter and I just fucking destroyed this room. Like, and oh. so she came in, like my wife, and like, of course, I felt immediately fine afterwards, right? Like it was whatever happened, went wrong, came back up. But I just had no warning whatsoever. There was nothing I could do. I, I couldn't. Oh, I, fuck. I didn't even really apologize to my wife. I was like, I'm sorry because of this result. And I'm going to need some help. But like, I didn't do anything wrong. Like, I, There's nothing I could have done about this. But also and, on a real primal level, it's the most humiliating thing. Oh, oh, it is. It is. It is like there are embarrassing things that I have been like anyone that is involved with over the years that are like some version of like your fault that you put yourself in it. But this one is like so humiliating because... Like, like the cart, like the deck was taken away from me. There were no cards to play. Um, and just an all time top three, like uh, humiliation, uh, that I, I still, if I think like whenever it creeps back into my memory, I, I just like bow my head because I've, I've, I, there's no living, no one, and no one said anything, right? And not like they knew, like it didn't need to be said. There was no nickname that had to be given. The shame was implied. The shame was visible. And it was just like, let's, let's just all move on with our lives because Uh. we don't need to talk about this. We don't need, we don't need to talk about it. The moment this goes through the wash and the dryer, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Jesus. I feel like yes. some I, there there must be I must have a story like this in my life that I don't remember because I tend to seriously block out traumatic experiences. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just can I help me, Can you help me block this one out? <laughs> yeah, I wish. Yeah, was, just like it was like 18 years ago, and I'm energy. still I'm still working through it. God, horrifying. <laughs> Rob, I feel like you're charging something like a fucking Kamehameha. Like you are Gokuing over I've here. Been sitting on a story for years. I've never been sure I can tell, but like Patrick is like giving me. I open the door. Alright. Let's go. go. He's he's resituating himself in his chair, so, folks. He is getting into the, the gamer's hunch. Well, he, he, he's he's hunching like the oyster shooter made me hunch. Um, and well, so and I feel like this fair, story is Rob's this oyster is another, shooter. This is another like, uh, like your your GI system is dying, uh, like praying for death thing. Apologies, people did not want to hear this stuff today. Like Kata movie, yeah, Kata movie. We have to put a warning yeah, before we get to the story uh-huh. of yeah. Like, we're going to talk about some like weird poop stuff that's happened. <laughs> All right, so okay, you're good to go. All right, so uh, I only met MK's grandfather once, uh, and was like the (laughs) incredibly cool dude, complicated guy. Uh, so I saw like in some ways had one of the easiest interactions with him. Uh, but like it it flattened a lot of his character. But anyway, like the dude was basically like um a real life Hawkeye Pierce from Mash. Uh, ah. In some ways, like he was a battalion surgeon in Korea and all this, like war hero, all this stuff. 
uh, I think got busted down and kicked out of the army for like diverting medical supplies to civilians uh, in Korea and reserving it for like solely military yeah. use. <laughs> um, but only met him once uh, before he passed. He passed uh, about like three months after I, I met him, and uh, there was a, a funeral that was held on this island. Uh, the family sort of gathers on uh, like occasionally. And that's where that's where the memorial is going to happen uh, a long time after uh, after his passing. Uh, this is back in Michigan and we're out in Boston by this point. And so we got to just like drive it. And. It's a long drive. It's doable. We couldn't afford to like stop more than one night. Like we were going to drive to the place we catch the ferry and all that. So we just like sort of uh, endurance drive uh, through the through the long night um and over the course of this drive like i guess unconsciously it's like yeah we can stop for the you know bathroom freshen up but we can just keep like you know we're making good time we'll just push through it doesn't occur to me till like you know flash for a couple days really on for a couple days it doesn't occur to me till then where i'm like when's the last time i went to the bathroom <laughs> And more alarmingly, when is the last time you felt like you wanted to? <laughs> it was just the weird. It was the first time I was like, right. Like, you don't usually think about when it's it's just right. part of the day, right? And it, and so there's just been an absence of this of this feeling. I'm like, <laughs> was that normal? I feel normal. I'm probably fine, but huh. When? Side note: When when we had when we had uh, Jess Jessica, one of my kids, I can't remember at this point, but they, one of them did not poop for forty eight hours, Whoa. and we're like, oh, I guess so. We called the pediatrician, like, is this is this concerning? You know, one of the things you do with kids is like bicycle kicks. That's like to try and like get their stomach moving. I don't know if that does anything or if that's just doctors feeding you bullshit to have something to do while you wait. And we call the pediatrician. They're like, oh no, call us back in a week if. If they don't poop, like kids can basically put their storage unit for about a week. Then that's concerning. But like that's made me think of that. Right. It's like, well, in the absence of that, the body is capable of some amazing things. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, and so yeah, I'm like, this is probably not. I don't even worry about it. And I certainly don't want to bring it up because, you know, who wants to bring this up around family, mm-hmm. et cetera. So I'm just mm-hmm. going to like uh-huh. quite literally sit on this and like ignore <laughs> like ignore this vibe. <laughs> but rapidly it starts to be less ignorable and i should i should mention by the way in the in this like marathon drive across the country like the only things eaten were like mcdonald's it was like like four meals at mcdonald's across right. this like sprint across country so like nothing you're your, like your, your, your intestine has become a big mac oh yeah exactly exactly <laughs> uh so like going through family memorial stuff and at some point, that like disquiet of like, huh, this is weird, switches over into, oh, this is unlike anything that's ever happened to me before. This is like alarming. Um, and we're all sta- the whole family is staying together in this like old converted abbey. Um, and where there's like no, not like not, don't think medieval abbey. Like think of like where. Uh, like uh, monks or or nuns would like hang out in like the Midwest, right? It's sort of just a modern like mid-century building, but the whole family's gathered in this in this place. Um, 
and so we're all in we're all in different rooms and 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 sharing some uh facilities and one of the the cousins uh is also newly pregnant uh for the first time and is going through full nesting like is just like uh like you know habitually clean this place and like it's gotta be everything's gonna be perfect uh in this in this weird little rental property we're all in and i go through a gamut of like okay surely you know things will loosen up they do not okay well we'll take some like laxative like that'll that'll help things no effect no it's like the the snow speed is shooting at the ATATs. just like nothing uh no no appreciable effect and like i said we're on an island so it's not like you can go to a doctor um literally one of the reasons this guy was so like revered on the island was for years he was the doctor uh island community where like he retires to and ends up providing a lot of medical care there uh so just got one more day really to get through before the uh before we get back to the mainland and uh i can i don't go to an emergency room or something to be like put out of my misery uh (laughs) but how many days is this at this point i think at this point we are three days away four days away from the last like confirmed like going to the bathroom type thing okay we have lived such different lives based on the fact that this is concerning to you please keep going uh so it's a big like family wake and all that it's a big like yes. buffet type setup and everyone's telling their stories big like luncheon thing and i'm like trying not to let on that i'm like going through it so i'm like pit- picking at all this food and i'm like trying to be like oh the- oh look i'll just have a a pile of beans uh <laughs> oh what's this leafy lettuce crunch crunch <laughs> crunch crunch <laughs> oh, ooh, this the you got an entire pot of coffee, you say. Don't mind if I do. Uh, just <laughs> oh trying God. to home remedy this situation as uh-huh. it were. This does not work because it turns out I'm just piling more bad on top of bad. Oh. And so now <laughs> in the middle of this thing, like close up, sweat springs from my brow. Okay. Like this is the first sign that the implosion is occurring. I'm like, oh, oh it's so hot it's so hot and i can't stop burping but also (laughs) there's little there's little gassy toots that are happening now too except except they smell unlike anything i've ever i'm like holy god oh my god what i'm just like rotting from the inside And so now I'm like, I can't be around people. I just need to, I just need to be alone on this island. I'm going to go stand by the lake and I'm going to sweat and fart and like break for death by myself and just get through this. And uh, so I am just like trying to play it cool, but like just flop sweat. Like, I, oh, yes, I miss grandpa, too. It's so good. The whole family could be here. Excuse me. I need to walk downwind and just stand there for a minute with a pained expression on my face. And then I will resume this conversation. Just bear with me. <laughs> <laughs> so we go like i am like i think this is like we got a bad situation here like i'm actually like scared now of of what's all what's all going down uh and so we end up going back like the the the, the party wraps up and going back to the abbey 
uh, where the cousin has like, uh, you know, pointedly uh, nested us all in. Everything's sort of spotless and clean. And at this point, all of a sudden, everything begins to like move. It is like mm. in in a movie, be the sound of the turbines spinning back up, like just slow, <laughs> like a like a locomotive starting to spool up to power. Uh, and I am just a passenger in this experience, uh, and I'm like, oh my god. I think I think it's happening. Excuse me, I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I will. I might die because it feels like my head. Like I feel like I will stroke out and have an aneurysm uh, while trying to like pass whatever is going on. Uh, I get in there and like it is, uh, like because I think of like maybe some of the folks who were in this abbey before, but like all the bathrooms are handicap accessible, which is great, but they're all fairly high seating position, which is not. And so I'm like, this is not this, this whole situation is not going to cut it. I need to poop like a dog. I need to, I need to, I need to pop the deepest squat in the history. And then cut to, I feel the most relieved I've ever felt in my life. Uh, it is. I'm a new man. I'm reborn. I'm going to live forever. Um, nothing can touch me. It's like a snake shedding its skin. Oh, yeah. Just just cut to. Can't, can yeah. I ask a timeline question? Yeah. How? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is the what is the delay between the skin shedding between you entering and leaving? How long the room? was I in that room? <laughs> yeah, how long were you in the room? So, one, I did nothing. Time passed normally while I was in there. <laughs> uh, I would say you went through the veil. <laughs> I would say I would estimate I was in there for about two hours. Wow, two hours long enough for people to notice you were gone. No, because it was right. the middle of the night. Oh, okay. Oh. It was the okay. middle of the night. Right, right. But then there was the whole question of like, I question, like, you know, it's it's the whole, now what are we going to do with this whole situation that's happened in this bathroom? I'm going to have to sort of like, like clean everything up as best I can. Uh, but that all goes fine. Uh, and like, I survived the ordeal. I managed to conceal like what I have gone through. Everyone just thinks I'm sort of really broken up by the funeral or something. Uh, and I am just, and, and the next day I'm like, the birds are singing. I am, I am, I am fine. The only people who, uh, who knew were me and me and MK uh, about like the entire, like during, during this, like, uh, you know, family, the, the, this family tragedy ordeal, uh, nobody else. I, I was I was able to prevent anybody else from finding out that there was another ordeal, uh, bordering on tragedy, happening <laughs> in the backdrop of this, and all it required was just absolutely demolishing that bathroom that the that uh, MK's cousin had had so had so lovingly, uh, lovingly cleaned for you cleaned and turned into a perfect uh, a perfect little place to to turn into a little cave. Uh, while I while I sort of beached in distress, you must have slept like a baby after that. Oh yeah, absolutely for, <laughs> for days following. <laughs> well, I was just every like every like food tasted better. 
Um, like, like just everything was more vibrant. It was like literally the sun in the sky seemed brighter the next day. It was like <laughs> I'd been sort of seeing everything at a hallucinatory distance where it was like it was sort of almost out of body for like three days. And the next day I'm like, <gasps> you guys ever just have an apple? You ever just taste an apple? Oh, look, I'm putting peanut butter on this thing. Oh my God, what flavors? That's me the next day. But that's that's my nearest miss. That's that that is my Patrick level of like, uh, I I was able to sort of conceal like I was lucky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was able to conceal all that had happened because it was like the worry was having a book like an emergency flight off this island to go see somebody <laughs> about this whole. Uh, so I ate a bunch of McDonald's and then didn't go to the bathroom for four days. Is that bad? God, this is hell. That reminds me of a story that is not family related, but since we're in the gross zone, I think it's very funny. <laughs> I was a, <laughs> I was a, I was a, a residence counselor for the summer program at my college, where high schoolers could come take and get like three uh, college courses to put towards actually coming to the college later if they wanted to. Um, and so as a you know, the RAs, we had like a group of kids that we were looking after. And every night we would have like RA kind of check in afterwards with all the RAs and like, you know, see how everything was going. And one night a friend of mine comes up and is like, y'all, I'm freaking out. One of my kids thinks she's pregnant. And we're like, what the fuck? Like, I mean, that must have happened before she came. This this, this is only like a six week program. We're like week three in like the, and she's like. No, she swears it happened here. And we're like, okay, that's impossible. Like, what is happening with this kid? Um, she's like, I don't know. But she like, doesn't want me to tell her parents. Like, I don't know what to do. And we at first are like, I think she's just... Uh, she can't possibly be pregnant. So I think it's okay to not alert people yet. Next day comes by. She's still on about this thing. And it's like, Why? She's, I mean, she feels like she, she says she feels a baby. And I'm like, excuse me? Like, what do you, what do you mean she says she feels a baby? She says she says she feels a baby growing inside her. And we're like, okay, that can't, it can't have happened here then. So I don't know that maybe we have to get in touch with her parents. Next day, we're like considering whether or not to you know, call her parents up and be like, look, I think we have a situation. You might need to come pick up your daughter from, from this college pre, pre-college program. And she comes running out. Like, where they're basically the, the commons, the like dorm rooms are like, it's a big quad, right? Like there's a big path in the middle, uh, a big like open area in the middle. And that's where kind of the Tarks tend to uh, have their meetings. You, it's all the kids kind of see us every night from their dorm rooms and like it's curfew no one's supposed to be leaving their dorm rooms but this girl that we are talking about comes running out and like whispers in the tark's ear and she busts out laughing and (laughs) at a hundred percent she hadn't pooped in like five days and just went 
that night as we were like about to be like okay we just have to call our parents to come pick her up and like they can deal with whatever medical emergency is happening uh but she fully believed it was like she was super like from a super religious household and she apparently kissed a guy on like week one and oh, thought no. she got pregnant oh my god she thought no. she got pregnant from that and would not did not ever connect that maybe it was the fact that she hadn't pooped in basically a week <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> wow. Where where Babby come from? <laughs> where ba- how Babby formed? Where <laughs> how Babby formed? Pragananon? Pragananon? Pragante. Oh my god. <sighs> that was the really, opposite of, really of kind of conception. Yeah, really kind of scathing uh um indictment of the fucking US uh sex ed- education oh, in sure. high school. For sure. <laughs> Uh, everything about you know, condoms only have like a ninety nine point nine nine percent protection rate. But if you ever think about like you ever think about how many people could be in that like one hundredth percent, you, <laughs> you, it'll be you. <sighs> uh, yeah, that is um, look, bodies, they're incredible. Yeah. Um, they bodies, they, bodies, they get, bodies. They've got a bodies, hard bodies. job sometimes. <laughs> Are we out of the growth zone? I want to put a marker here. Yeah. To say we've left the growth zone. I I will say, one thing that made me feel better is uh, MK did reassure me it was something her her grandfather would have found very funny. That's good. good. You honored (laughs) it. Me white knuckling through the entire, like... Family Memorial Weekend, while like, <laughs> while like sort of masking the fact that like we got a whole situation happening here, uh, that uh, is at the at the bounds of of uh, medical science. Yeah, as someone who lived this life, Rob, for about three years, I can tell you, you get a you get a good sense of humor about it after about <laughs> after about year two. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've never like I'm li- like. The 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 key takeaway was my days of just being able to like, you know, I could just live on McDonald's and like <laughs> sitting on my ass and like being completely. So that was like the sort of that was the I would say that's the moment my like carefree early twenties ended. Like that is that is mm. the like hard cut. It is like uh, you are mortal, and sometimes things that have always just worked without you having to think about them or contemplate them at all, uh, just don't anymore. And so maybe. That third day at McDonald's, you just need to like maybe work in, you know, a, a lettuce a side wedge. salad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Well, we were in the gross zone should... for a while. We should. Yeah, we, yeah, we, we probably. probably we really let's, yeah, we got. Uh, I guess one one last question then. Uh, to to sort of uh take takes out of that zone. Uh. William writes, by Waypoint Crew, uh, pretty much everyone has a few nice, comfortable places they'd like to spend time in. Uh, they didn't intend for that to be said <laughs> uh Indeed they do, William. Uh, but hey, maybe there's a cozy spot in your apartment, a particular se- seat at a coffee shop, etc. Something I've noticed is that since the pandemic, I've been feeling a lot more of that attachment in games, finding comfort in a particular rooftop and up-dam for uh, Death Loop, feeling at home on a familiar road and Death Stranding, the peace of Main Hall and Resident Evil 2 remake, or the familiarity of the plaza below the windmill in Tunic. These aren't necessarily new feelings, nor are necessarily unintentional ones yet. I recently found myself growing significantly more attached to and finding comfort 
in these familiar locations. Games have always been a way to escape to other worlds and places, but since the pandemic, I've found not just wonder and awe in these beautiful creations, but also comfort. Instead of jaw-dropping exotic locales, they've subbed in for the coffee shop, bar, or park I might be hanging out in every week. Have any of you all felt something similar? Has your relationship with locations and games changed since the pandemic uh, turned things on their heads? Are there any spots in games that jump out at you as a particular comfort zone? This was pre-pandemic, but there is a area in Transistor where you can just put the music on a little record player and like just vibe. And I there was definitely a few hours I spent uh, during uh, my high school years where I was like, I feel bad. I'm just going to go to the little room in Transistor where the nice music happens and put that shit on and like do something else. I can't think of anything specific, but I I have long been an advocate that I wish more games had like attract mode functions. Um, now you can argue that you could just put on a let's play, but I think they function differently. And I, there are times where like the last time that this came to the front of mine was Sayonara Wild Hearts, you know, which the game was sort of an interactive pop album. Um, and one of which I enjoy playing, but I would love if I could, it, the album is so good. It's like, I, I wouldn't mind just having that on mm-hmm. in the background with the game, like the actual, you know, visuals accompanying it. And I, I wish more games had sort of like if not in a track mode, then like an auto autoplay function. So you could just have that playing and you could sort of exist in those spaces um, in a way that, you know, didn't require you to, to play or to play a, to, you know, a compressed video from YouTube um, with or without commentary on top of it. I feel like at first the round table hold in Elden Ring was one of these places, but that place changes mm. in a way that, well, We'll talk about it eventually on a spoiler cast. <laughs> did you beat did you beat that game? Did you catch up? Not almost. Almost. I'm I'm okay. like right there. I'm like All right. the tornado place. Okay, yeah. Okay. You're there. You're, yeah, you're on you're on your way. <laughs> um But the actual one, which is kind of surprising to me, honestly, because I had hadn't really considered it this before this question came up and then be like, huh, actually this is this fits right in, is uh Leshy's cabin in inscription. Mm. Uh, specifically mm-hmm. because Casey's mod allows you to go in and you can change what song is playing. And there's a lot of bangers on that track. And just like, I don't know, after like, you know, having been through the actual game and after kind of the the horror elements losing kind of that specific uh, spookiness, there's like a comforting spookiness of just kind of popping open Casey's mod and like doing a, doing a run and listening to that sick ass soundtrack. <laughs> It's very comforting, like an actual so, cabin, even though it's spooky. <laughs> I think um, <clears throat> adventure games, I think, hit this space a lot because this is what they sell themselves on back in like the 90s is like these games have to work in part because there has to be a cool tableau that you stare at and click at objects within it. And you you sort of want to spend time and linger there. And there's, so there's like. I mean, so many adventure games in that era have spaces that feel comforting and warm and familiar that sort of juxtapose against the uh, more fraught screens that you go to later. But, you know, like The Longest Journey, there's the little, like, bar and and little, like, uh, art studio you've got uh, in that that, like, have a completely cool vibe uh, sort of packed with friends uh, in a way that, like, the other settings you go to will not be. Um I, I think like I have always sort of uh, treasured the 
second day of like the last express where you're like sort of a, a rainstorm across Europe that you're riding through. And so it's all roars of thunder as you just have the soothing like uh racket of the, the rail cars going down the, down the railway. Um, I've always loved the very opening of link to the past, you know, where it's that, that, that rainy night and you have that mm-hmm. cozy little cabin uh, that you're in. I think, I think there's definitely a, um, I think in some ways, like you go on YouTube and there's uh so many channels dedicated to trying to evoke a, a something similar to this feeling of like, it's a little render of like, it's a cozy, like steampunk coffee shop with cool beats. They're playing in the background. But I think the issue with a lot of those things is the renders are not very good. Uh, and it's always like too muchy much of like the one aesthetic where it's just like all just cranked up past to 11 past 11. Whereas I think one thing that games are really good at doing is. There's like often either just because of the context in the game uh, or maybe even within the space you're in, there's a little bit of feeling of menace at the fringes of those comforting spaces that makes them more comforting to inhabit. So I think a lot about like, um, you know, I love prey that space station is fucked, but like there's a lot of cozy, cool little rooms you can hang out in, uh, before, you know, to, to get a little respite, uh, Ren, you had something. I actually have a better answer to this. Uh, that's more yeah. recent. Uh, I go to back to disco Ooh. Elysium and just sit in it like pretty frequently. Um, that was, that game is, is, is deeply important to me at this point as, as, as time goes on, it's becoming possibly the most important game to me. And I will in like times of, uh, discomfort, like boot up, uh, Disco Elysium on my switch and just like hang out in the whirling and rags or like do a walk around Martinez. I'm, uh, I'm a sucker for those like. Uh, like pixel artists sometimes do renders of scenes uh mm-hmm. like that often of like i often like look at them and i'm like man i i wish i could just like project that on my wall and sort of like <laughs> inhabit that space uh for a while um is like that i guess that is that is my comfort uh zone which is the old pixel art adventure game feel of like here's a cool weird room uh that you can hang out where nobody can get you and that that for me is happiness all right, so uh, I think we will leave it. We will leave it there. Apologies for look. There are some stories that clearly Patrick and I had to get off our chest. Things that like, we, yeah. Actually, Patrick put things on his chest during his story, so I think that we should crucially, crucially, yes. Now you might be tempted. The Waypoint Crew's <laughs> got to know about my story. It's no. got to be a real banger. <laughs> Like incredible yeah. banger. We're probably not reading it. We're probably we're not, not turning, reading it. We're not turning this into a bit. Or no, we're just going to read gross, no. the gross out stories. Yeah. Because uh, like I, I feel like I, I feel like like the, the honestly the story about like pouring the coke into the stout. That's kind of the the Perfect. place to pitch this. Ideal. It, it needs the, it needs to have zone. like interesting consequences, right? Yeah. Like um, it can't. You know, Rob's like he got off scot free. In some ways, mildly disappointing. I'm glad. I, I'm glad everything worked out for you. But like these stories would have to involve some sort of uh, yeah. Like the being yeah. having the the nickname is good. That that gives me a hook. Yeah. Um, beyond just reading, the bodies do gross things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's just that's just our our little note there. <clears throat> um, <laughs> that's a good call because yes, we were opening the literal. Hmm. Yeah, gates to uh, yeah. uh, a lot of a lot of uh, stories. Uh, 
Uh, if you want more from Waypoint, you can follow us on Twitter at Waypoint, Facebook, and YouTube, Waypoint Vice. You can follow me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. Uh, Ricardo, where can people follow you? At a underscore Cotto underscore appears. Patrick. Uh, you can follow me at Patrick Klubick. And this is coming in really late. You, if you listen to this podcast, you might be able to skate into the last possible second. But uh, I'll put out a call on Twitter for that a form for people to fill out with questions. But also, if you listen to this, if you want to write in questions for Rob and Patrick's uh, uh, untitled sports show. It'll be too late. It'll be too podcast. late. The timing yeah. is going to, yeah. We're going to no. record it Tuesday night. Oh, Tuesday night? I thought we were recording Tuesday morning. No. Oh, no. okay. Okay. Well, then, yes, Tuesday night. they will have time yeah, if you're listening to this yeah. immediately <laughs> after it comes out. Yeah. Tentatively uh, titled Bear Downer. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, and and the, 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 the general picture of that show is like, it, we want an excuse to uh, talk about sports. It's not like a, we're going to. We're going to do pickums on the, you know, for the, the upcoming like slate of NFL games. I think like the, the way we're going to open the podcast is like, what is our relationship to sports, athletics, fandom, and like that will give us some avenues, Chicago. Um, <laughs> but if you want to, if you want to write in with like just the generic prompt of sports and what that makes you think of, it doesn't have to be football. It could just be sort of sports and athletics. And then we'll, we'll see how that episode goes and see if like some segments shake out of. Uh, what we end up recording. So just wanted to chime in on that before before we get out of here. You can also go check out what we published on waypoint.vice.com. Uh, this week, I highly recommend checking out Ren's piece on Gloomwood, uh, where you can read about her time with the game and uh, get get that on your radar and get appropriately stoked for whatever that is going to evolve into. Uh, thanks to Waypoint Plus. We will be streaming this week. Uh, I think uh, Ricardo and I are going to be playing some Motorsports Manager think yeah we're gonna we're gonna see what oberhoff uh can can bring with its second season uh hopefully we'll also have natalie swinging through uh at some point later this week for maybe some maybe some shooter action uh but we'll sort of be figuring this week out as we go tomorrow uh i as you listen to this uh there may be some splatoon as well uh that that the gang will be playing before ren goes on a little bit of a late summer break uh for waypoint plus listeners i've completely lost track of what's going up this week anything nothing nothing right the sports 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 pod sports will go up this week yeah yeah and then next week yeah that'll start on waypoint plus yeah yeah next week that sounds good if you just want more waypoint you can go to waypointplus.com and subscribe. Not only do you get access to our premium feed, but you're also helping support Waypoint and everything else we do here. Uh, and if you want to go beyond that level of support, you can go to waypointgeneralstore.com and buy some of our fine Waypoint merch. I think we'll be getting around to uh, Alien next week for the for the, uh, for the the Plus feed. Yeah. Uh, so stick around for that. Think about your questions. Uh, and, hey, think about what you'll be proposing for the audience nominations. Uh, for for the last leg of this of this little journey, uh, I certainly have my picks that I will try to urge you towards. Um, but you know, <laughs> if anyone else also feels that there's some incredible thematic tie-ins between Big Night and uh, Alien, you know, just feel free to nominate yourself. That's that's all I'm saying. Uh, who are we to defy the will of the people? Our theme music is by Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Learn more at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. For now, we're calling time on this Monday. We will talk to you again on Friday. Until then, fuck capitalism. Go home.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.